0: Check one, check two. Can you hear that duck? Check one, check two. Can you hear that duck? i not sure what happened to Annie, but anyway, welcome to Southern Sense. Today is Friday, July 23rd. Our lineup today will be Stephen Esquera, who's a human rights advocate, has a number one best-selling book out. And um, he's also a guest speaker. Uh, he talks about China policy, and this is the subject he's an expert on. And he has a nonprofit uh, organization, um, and he has sales. He's a sales engineer and data science enthusiast. Um, his book is "Surviving Chinese Communist Detention." We also have. Coming up at the 2 o'clock hour, James Simpson. He's an investigative journalist and author of Who Was Called Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace behind today's rampaging American left. At the 3 o'clock hour, we have my own Putnam County Sheriff's Office, Sheriff H.D. Gator DeLoach. He will be joining us from um, Florida. He was recently down at the southern border with another sheriff in another county of um, Florida. I think it was Bradford County, and um, that would be Sheriff um, Gordon Smith. So we expect to have those two on at 3 today. At 3.30, we have Samuel Craig, who's a Ph.D., Um, He's a research director, Action Institute and Visiting Scholar, Center for American Studies, the Heritage Foundation. Um, He is also the research director of the Action Institute. So that's our lineup for today. Now we have a dedication to the 20 law enforcement active duty members who lost their lives in the line of duty. To the COVID-19 virus during the month of February 2021. 17 men and three women from across the nation were employed in local, state, and federal agencies. That dedication hopefully will be done by Annie. I'm not sure what happened. We seem to be having some technical problems at this point, but hopefully she can rejoin us. Um, Anybody in the chat room can hear me. Please indicate that you can again. Um, so uh, we have been off the air for at least two weeks now, probably two and a half weeks, because um, Andy lost her husband Yanni. And when like an emergency with, uh, strikes,
1: what's your first impulse? If your answer is, run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website prepare with southernsense.com or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441 7290 or go to prepare with SouthernSense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show and it's called Southern Sense and you know you put a dash in the middle, Southern-Sense.com and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290. Or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern com. Be prepared. All right. We tried something a little bit different, and it didn't work out. But anyway, we're back. I hope everyone can hear us. We tried to do this all through Skype, and we're going to have some problems with our next couple of guests. So I'm going to have to be sending them texts and let them know. To uh, call the regular number and not to try because this video thing is not working with Skype and uh, what we're using anyway, we do have sweet Sue, Sue, you're with us. okay, I don't hear anything. Curtis, are you with us?
0: Yes, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you, and why I don't know why Skype is asking me to resume call.
0: I don't know, but uh, we had lost you for a while there, and um, I'm like, okay, is this going to be another Twilight Zone Friday? <laughs> but um, yeah. I kind of like figured it out that you were having technical problems, so I pretty much started the introduction of our guests and things like that. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. I was, I don't know if I told you earlier this week, I, I had lost my voice, I had a case of laryngitis, and... And I'm still not 100% yet, and I had to talk last night, had a um, speaking engagement in um, St. Augustine, Florida. So, anyway, I already introduced the um, guests as far as, you know, who's, who who we have on the um, schedule today. And I was saying, you know, about the dedication that I, I hope you would be joining us in time to do the dedication. <laughs> and thankfully well, you, you know- did.
1: Well, uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to get the rest of this, because I see Sue is here in the studio. I've got her mic off of mute. It's, la- it's live, but I don't hear her. So, I mean, I'm still having problems, so I don't know what the heck is going on here. Um, and... and see, the
0: whole time we couldn't hear you. Oh. Um, those in the okay. chat room could hear me.
1: All right, we got Sue. We have we yeah. have another voice, another voice in the air. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> both of you, loud and clear. Okay. Good. All right. Well. Good to hear you. I, well, we we got ourselves a rock and roll and good show. Hopefully, Daryl can get himself called back in. You know, I'm gonna have to text him the other number to uh, call because I don't think he knows what it is. Uh just got to find. Here we go. Okay, let let me just send him a text. And tell him which number to call. All right. I'm sending that over to him. I forgot what that phone number is. Eight, nine. Oh, yeah. There we go. Five. Sending that over to him. I'm going to have to get a hold of our other guests and tell them that we're having technical difficulties and uh, and, and, and try to get him to call in. But uh, we've got ourselves a rock and roll and good show. Um I want to thank Sue for helping me over the last three weeks. It was Yesterday was really tough, and uh, it was a three-week anniversary. Of, actually, Yanni passed away on, on Wednesday night, but it was Thursday where it really hit me hard, uh, where I had to go and make f- the funeral arrangements, and a week later, uh, tropical storm, Elsa came through, which delayed the burial, but we had the funeral service and the reception. And boy, I mean, talk about being insulted. Uh, my sister, God bless her. She she was at my side the whole time. Everyone kept on asking if she was my daughter. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I got the gray hair. She colors hers. Um, wow. And then we finally laid them to rest last Thursday. It's just like Thursdays. They just kind of like hits me in waves at times. And I was I was really out of it yesterday, honestly. Uh, But we're back, we're back, and we're back in the fight. And we have a lot to talk about and a lot to do. And a special thanks to you, Sue, for you know helping me through it. You know, she was listening to me cry on the phone. Oh, good lord, (laughs) poor girl, what I put her through, right, Sue? (laughs) Anyway, um, everyone that knows we start each show with a dedication to a fallen hero. But today's dedication is a little bit different. Today's dedication is going out to the 20 law enforcement active duty members who lost their lives in the line of duty due to the COVID-19 virus during the month of February of this year alone. 17 men and three women across this nation in local, state, and federal agencies passed away. Because of line of duty contact of COVID. And these are the people that we honor today. Starting off with Correctional Officer Juan Lanes. Miami-Dade County Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation in Florida. End of watch Monday, February 1st, 2021. Sergeant Grace A. Bellamy the Georgia Department of Corrections, her end of watch, Monday, February 1st. Detention Officer Perez, Harris County Sheriff's Office, Texas, end of watch, Tuesday, February 2nd. Deputy Sheriff Jack Edward Gwines, Nassau County Sheriff's Office in Florida, end of watch, Wednesday, February 3rd. Agent Juan Rosado López, Puerto Rico Police Department, Puerto Rico, end of watch, Wednesday, February 3rd. Correctional Lieutenant 3rd Degree, Anthony Lynn Hardy, North Carolina Department of Public Safety, Division of Adult Correction and Juvenile Justice in North Carolina. End of watch, Saturday, February 6th, 2021. Detective Pedro Jr. Pete Mejia. Pasadena Police Department in Texas. End of Watch, Saturday, February 6th. Officer Cesar Dangarin Simulga. United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Office of Field Operations. End of Watch, Sunday, February 7th. Deputy Sheriff Ross Dixon, Cambria County Sheriff's Office in Pennsylvania, end of watch, Tuesday, February 9. Correction Officer 4th Degree, Vicki James, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Correctional Institutions Division, Texas, Wednesday, February 10th. Investigator Eddie B. Hutchinson III, Walker C- County Criminal District Attorney's Office in Texas. End of Watch, Wednesday, February 10th. Special Deputy Marshal Hugh Boy Bennett, United States Department of Justice, United States Marshal's Office. End of Watch, February 10 2021. Chief of Police, Timothy John Shaheen. California Borough of Police Department in Pennsylvania. End of Watch, Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Deputy Sheriff Donald Wayman Gilraith III, Hamilton County Sheriff's Office, Ohio, end of watch Friday, February 12th. Police Officer Mitchell Aaron Penton, Dallas Police Department, Texas, end of watch Saturday, February 13th. Officer Gennaro Guerrero, State Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Office of Field Operations. End of Watch, Monday, February 15th. Corrections Officer 4th Degree, Taiweo Obele, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Correction Institution Division, Texas, Tuesday, February 16th. Major Esteban Stevie Ramirez III, Bell County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of Watch, Tuesday, February 16th. Deputy Constable Manuel Felipe de la Rosa. Hayes County Constable's Office, Precinct 2, Texas. End of Watch, Tuesday, February 16th. Sergeant Richard Paul Brown, Fresno Police Department, California. End of Watch, Wednesday, February 17th. Parole Officer Troy Kell Morin, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, Parole Division, Texas. End of Watch, Tuesday, February 23rd. And finally, Officer Carlos Mendoza, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Office of Field Operations. End of Watch, Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. These men and women, all different backgrounds, all different agencies, all different ages, all different races, all dedicated to protect and serve, gave their lives in the line of duty, protecting those who transmitted COVID to them. Not necessarily dying from the bullet of a gun or from a car hitting you or from a knife or from some crazed person just out to do suicide by cop. These men and women gladly went forward into the front lines, and serve those who ended up passing on COVID-19 and costing them their lives. We dedicate this show to all brave men and women that serve as forced responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. Each one is equally in danger. We also dedicate this show to those that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our wonderful and hopeful future. May we keep fighting for this republic. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
2: blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my door's always open open to dreamers and friends. I stand for I respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy
1: You're here listening live to Seth and on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Oh Lone Star Daily News, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, Radio, a half a dozen other places, including um, Global Network. Wherever Daryl went, <laughs> Global Enlightenment. Daryl ever gets back on the line with us, hopefully. Uh, we had a little bit technical oh, like, difficulty. Um... Yeah, a little, a little difficulty this morning just getting us into the show, uh, but we're back. A little bit of the three-week hiatus after the loss of my husband, and Daryl just sent me a Skype message saying, yes, he's we're very live. All right, so Daryl, thank you very much. He could hear us. He's broadcasting over at Global Enlightenment Network, our new carrier. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Daryl, for all the hard work you're doing and putting up with me through all this BS. Uh, anyway... Um, you're listening to the hostess with the least mostest today on <laughs> the radio ticket, Annie. with my co-host, Curtis C. S. Bennett. And Sue, I still have you unmuted, so if you want to chime in uh, until our guest does call in, because I just sent everyone a text telling them we got technical difficulties, uh, so they should be calling in shortly. There is so much that has happened over these past three weeks, Curtis. It's not as if I wasn't paying attention, but holy moly, the world is getting Lunar and Lunar and Lunar. Did you see um, the replay of Biden's town hall with CNN? If anyone should invoke. Oh, my goodness. I, I would say I would give it no more than a week or two before you hear an outcry of invoking the 25th Amendment or calling for him to resign. Now, folks, remember what I said. I said. As soon as he was elected and he was certified as being our next 46th president of the United States, I said within six months, watch, they're going to move to remove him. They are, I, I'm telling you, there are calls right now from some medical professionals, a former White House chief surgeon who served under President Obama, who said just looking at him, you could tell he is no longer competent to handle the office of the president, which puts national security in jeopardy. And I, for one, am not thrilled with the idea of Princess or Queen Camilla, Mela, as I call her, as our next president of the United States, and then being touted as the first female president. Um, I'm not thrilled about that, but I would rather have someone with their full facilities with them and then someone like him, who's nothing more than a puppet of anyone who decides to pull his string, including China's Zhao zaping You know, the Communist Party, China, is, is probably one of the ones that's keeping him propped up in office. And the last thing that they want to see him do is leave office. They've got a puppet in him, especially through his son and whatever else they hold that they, they can bribe him with. And that's going to be part of the topics of what we're going to be discussing with our guests today. And, uh, man, uh, this is scary. This is the scariest time I have ever seen our nation in. I can say 9-11 was scary, but this is worse. This is worse. It's when we are threatened from the top down. And that is what's happening here
0: today. It seems like we we are winning some court battles. Uh, I've seen a couple over the last week or two where, you know, the court has decided in our favor, um, some at the um, federal level and others at the Supreme Court, you know. So there's some hope that um, some of these um, 200 appointees um, to the judgeship at the federal level are, are the ones who we can count on, you know, that Trump put in. Uh, you know, because we can't always count on the Supreme Court, but you know, things start at the level below the Supreme Court first. So, I'm I'm a little positive about that. Now, what I don't like is um, China is once again focused on Taiwan, and I, I came out for a book about a year and a half ago um, addressing that particular subject. It's called the "China Checkmate," where China. Decides they're going to um, invade Taiwan and take over because they see us having a weak president at the time. So you, you're right, you know. People will see through our weakness, you know, and our leadership, and, and try to take advantage of it. Pretty much like uh, Khrushchev thought he could do with um, a young Kennedy during his first some um, year or two in the office. So the world, they they watch us and they they're studying us. And they know when we have a strong leader like Trump, and they know when we have a weak leader like um, this guy that's on the pretender now. So we'll just have to wait and see where all this goes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely have to wait and see where all this goes. And, uh, okay, our first guest acknowledged that he needs to call in because of technical difficulties. And I do have to apologize for the way this uh, show started off. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it's... (laughs) It's as if I forgot what the heck I'm supposed to be doing here and nothing was working right. (laughs) So, you know, we've got ourselves back on our feet and everything else. So um, our first guest, when he does call in, has such a very interesting story. Um, Unfortunately, I got the book right about the time that uh, Yanni took really ill. And uh, for those that want to know what happened was – about a little over a month ago, we got a phone call from the Medical University of South Carolina. It was from his uh, his doctors up there, and they wanted him to be fast-tracked. The cancer we thought that he beat came back with a vengeance, and that's the exact words the Dr. used. came back with a vengeance, and it was just a week and a half later, he collapsed, and then three nights later, he passed. And the irony of the whole thing, i got to love our federal government and the bureaucracy. He passed away actually on June 30th. And if he had lived a mere two hours and 43 minutes longer, I would have received his June Social Security check. He lived for the entire month of June except for two hours and 43 minutes. And when I called them, they said, nope, he had to be alive as of midnight, July 1st. Now isn't that a kick in the teeth? thank you, Uncle Sam. Anyway, with that humor in mind, let us bring on our first our first victim of the day, and this man is no victim by any many means. I want to welcome to the show first time, Stephen Sharra. Good afternoon, Stephen. How are you today?
3: doing well, doing well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity to uh chat with you and your audience.
1: Well, I apologize that i couldn't do the video i I did dry runs and everything seemed to work fine on the dry ones but when you do it in actuality that's when everything screws up so we're going to have to get you on when i get my new internet hooked up that's a whole nother story steve you you're you are an ip guy just trying to get xfinity comcast to hook up the service to my house it's taken me over a month to explain to them they can't activate the service, and so they hook up the line to the public service box across the street from my house, run the cable, bore it under the street, and then have the next guy come in and dig it into my property up to the house service box, hook it up to the house, then you can run it into the house and install my service. (laughs) <laughs> it a
3: month and <laughs> Don't ahead you love so the and- tech industry? <laughs> yeah, I had a family member that dealt with a similar situation, so definitely heard of this before, and uh, that's not a pleasant place to be in. So, I hope that does uh, that does go well, and we can get that resolved and up and running. we Would love to be there uh, when that's when that's fixed.
1: Yeah, because then it's going to look something closer to what Newsmax looks like. It'll have that professional video look on it that you know it will make. Every single show be so much better. But anyway, um, you have a marvelous new book out. And uh, matter of fact, I did not put it in my show description. Oh, yeah, it's in my show description. Why didn't it print out? This is, this is crazy. Okay. Uh, your book is titled Surviving Chinese Communist Detention. And um, you were like a clean cut, all American kid. And for some reason, you got it into your head, you were going to go to China, open up a business over there, make millions of dollars and be happy ever after. And that started to happen. But then you got kicked in the teeth. What in your your mind made you think China would be the ideal place to make your first million?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you uh, kind of prompting the question. Uh, in that way, so what I, what I do, I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to kind of discuss this. Um, some of it is my background. Uh, so I'm the son of two immigrants to the United States. My mom's originally from Mexico. My father's originally from Switzerland. Uh, and so I had spent the bulk of my life traveling around the world. I hold multiple passports. So I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm a Swiss citizen as well. Uh, so I'd spent years of my life in Europe. I'd spent years of my life in Latin America. I'd, I'd been there. I'd done that. And so China, to me, um, in my youthful ignorance – and I write about this extensively in the book – I really was not aware of what I was getting myself into. Sure, you hear about communism in school. Sure, you hear about, you know, the horrors of communism. But in my mind, like uh, the brilliance of, of my 22-year-old mind at the time, I kind of thought about it as, uh, oh, that's one of those historical things. And, you know, it's it's good that that, you know, we learned about that, but it's that's not the world today. And so China was really just an opportunity to try something new, to see a new place to go. I love to travel. i been there, done that, you know, speak different languages. And so in my mind, I was just like, hey, I've got a job opportunity. Uh, I definitely want to kind of see something new, uh, get to, you know, work and see a new part of the world that not been to Asia before. And so this was kind of just ticking a few of those boxes in my head where I was like, this is just a fun, cool, new, exciting opportunity. And that was really the extent of it at the time. Um, you know, I didn't understand the world and its complexities uh and the nature, really, the true nature and the ongoing and current nature of a communist state. And so really, I uh, was kind of just blissfully ignorant in my youth. I just thought of it as a, a new job in a new country. I'd traveled before. This will be just like all those other instances where i traveled in the past. Uh, and so I hopped on that <laughs> one-way flight to Beijing after doing my due diligence and going to the U.S. embassy, uh, the Chinese embassy in San Francisco uh, from the Bay Area originally in California, uh, you know, got the visa, did all the the things uh, and, and landed in Beijing. And so um, initially I, you know, pursued a job and then started learning Mandarin as my Mandarin improved that yielded new opportunities. And I thought, Hey, you know what, this isn't horrible. This is, there's some cool job offers, some cool job opportunities. Uh, built a network, and then ended up co-founding a profitable and successful business in my mid-20s. I was around 25, 26 at the time, uh, before ultimately being haphazardly and and falsely, I might add, accused of, quote-unquote, illegal employment uh, in the country and, and, and the downstream things that happened, the black site detention, the, you know, uh, torture the uh, being held incommunicado, all these other horrific things that were just done after the fact. So that's that's really the background, if if I could say it succinctly.
1: <laughs> well, it's an excellent book, and uh, I'm going to hold it up to the camera uh, because we are live on Facebook and YouTube, and people know I read the book because there's all these. and I'm not a fan of paper <laughs> but it's what I had nearby. <laughs> Sticky notes all over this book, and you know. It is it is a, such a fascinating read but one of the things i really got a kick out of is that uh, it, most of the chapters you start off you preface it with a a situation a statement made by someone publicly and then a press conference with the foreign ministry spokesman and i'm not i don't speak chinese i'm not even going to try to pronounce this well yes i am i'm going to try to pronounce it and you'll correct that <laughs> hua cheng ying
3: Okay. Yeah, close enough. Good. I I, I can work with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> no, no. Explain to us what you were trying to do because I I mean I'm I'm looking at the public statement by either someone from the UN or someone from the US or any other nation would make some sort of a statement and China would object to it and somehow or other someone from the press would ask them about it and I'm listening to what was originally said and his answer and I'm like. WTF? i gotta, I got to be clean on this one. So, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this some no, there's, the there's a, carry a lot to say the there.
3: Right. There's there's a lot to be said there. Let me first premise my answer with the fact that I'm stunned that I'm allowed to be on Facebook. One of the first things that happened when I wrote my book, uh, it's a hello, Facebook audience, which I'm banned and censored from outright, uh, was that once my book was published and the second I tried to build a, a Facebook profile uh, about my book, an author profile, anything along those lines, within minutes, I was blocked banned, censored by Facebook. you violated every policy on earth, and you can you know this is not a, a, a challengeable offense uh, and so i 'm not even allowed to be on Facebook, but the interesting thing there is when I was working in Beijing and I lived and worked in Beijing from like the end of two thousand eleven up until two thousand and sixteen well, when I was detained and ultimately deported. Uh, is that Mark Zuckerberg would usually come out to Beijing pretty much every year, and he would do these awkward kind of little jogs around in the smog, which everyone was like, well, why is he jogging around in the smog? And doing these little photo ops in front of Tiananmen Square, which was down the road from where I lived. And uh, then he would go into the CCP's, uh, you know, offices and have all these, you know, little photo ops with the CCP officials and stuff and, you know, beg for additional market access uh, for Facebook. And so the downstream reality of what you get then is you have an American who almost dies in CCP detention, manages to not, you know, die, survives, makes it back home, right, it's a number one best-selling book about the experience, and then you cannot share your story. You cannot criticize China's Communist Party in any capacity. You will be banned, blocked, uh, and censored by big tech, uh, which is what has happened. Uh, so it's just it's fascinating. I'm even in, <laughs> on a Facebook platform in any capacity. Um, and, the downst- and then regarding what you kind of addressed with the, the the book titles and uh, the book chapters, what I wanted to do with this book was – really kind of make a very cogent point that, look, hey, even if you think that I'm just being vindictive, hey, I'm angry that I almost died in Chinese detention. He's just, you know, grieving his uh, or airing his grievances uh, with the global community, and he's trying to kind of, you know, get even with this book. What I really attempted to do was just say, hey, look, if you don't take my word for it, that's fine. If you feel like my story is simply anecdotal and a personal kind of grievance, Let me provide to you the context. Let me give you China. Let me give you the decades of China uh, research and speeches and literature, uh, the things that they say to this day uh, through their foreign ministry spokespeople uh, about human rights violations. And in every single iteration, the recurring theme is the same. Every single time there's a human rights violation, every single time uh, China does something wrong and harmful to people in their own country, uh, people from around the world like myself, Uh, What they will do is they will go up there and publicly denounce that has ever taken uh, place in the first instance. So they're essentially very good at gaslighting. They kind of make you seem like the crazy person. Hey, you're torturing people, China. Hey, you're torturing American citizens and Canadian citizens through hostage diplomacy and detention and all these other horrific things that are done to your own population. And then they'll just turn around and say, no, no, that's not true you're the crazy one, we uphold human rights, we uphold you know, human life, we love to defend uh, people and religious minorities, all of this is not happening. You know? And so it's kind of like a magician doing a trick where it holds up the you know, little red shiny ball that you're supposed to stare at while the magician does the trick behind his back or on the side, having distracted you. And China is a master manipulator. They're great at this. Um, the CCP for decades has written, and you can go back to Unrestricted Warfare, which was a book published in the 90s by two PLA colonels. Uh, and the whole premise of the book, without getting lost in the details, is essentially this. How does a country like China defeat a technologically superior country like the United States? That was the entire premise, and so what they came up with was what the title is, uh, literally Unrestricted Warfare, where you have to use everything outside of kinetic warfare as the new battlefield, uh, economic warfare, psychological warfare, cultural war- warfare, biological warfare, and this has been written about and uh, documented <coughs> sorry, extensively by CCP authorities for decades. They have not been shy about this. This is not some clever trick, and it goes back to the premise Hey, look! If you don't want to take my story at face value, fine. Here's what the CCP has been saying for decades. Uh, it's it's very transparent. They're very clear about it, and, and it's very um, out there in the open, so to speak. So that's why I, I cited the book in that in that way.
1: Well, you know, I, I, people know lately I've been talking a lot about China over the last couple of years. Uh, it, it, it's something that's it's been on the burner for a long time. And matter of fact, about 15 years ago when the newspaper was so proudly announced a Confucius school opened up in Hilton Head, South Carolina and I'm going are you nuts? Are you really nuts? Are you really that naive and crazy? And yes people are that stupid naive and crazy They, they have gone after our society on so many levels. I mean I dare someone walk into Walmart pick up the first thing that you see turn it over and look where it's made and i will guarantee you 99.9 percent of the time it's going to say made in china they have such an influence right. in our society on all levels and uh we we're, my god bless my mom she's 89 she's now living with she's been living with me for the last year and a half and she's uh Uh, She's watching the TV. I got Newsmax on. And they were talking about uh, frontline doctors, this woman that started up this nonprofit, uh, which is a really amazing thing, uh, talking about the COVID uh, vaccines. And I start on my rant. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I says, aren't you aware that China now owns Ancestry.com, that they have been secretly stockpiling our DNA information? Now, think about this. This virus that is attacking the rest of the world is attacking Europe and the United States with a vengeance more than anywhere else, and now Africa. Don't you think they genetically engineered that virus based upon what they learned from our DNA? And she's looking at me like, you're crazy. No. And I said, your brother, before he passed away, did a National Geographic DNA testing, I guarantee you those resu- results are sitting somewhere in China in a lab somewhere, and it's being used to develop the next vaccine, uh, uh, next virus to attack us. They're doing this on so many levels. The ports they own, the buildings they own, the businesses they own. Oh, yeah. that. By the way, folks, you buy Smithfield Meats, guess who owns Smith- Smithfield Meats? China. Oh, yeah. Who supplies Mitch McConnell with his vessels? China. His wife has direct connections into CPP through her father. They are so insidious within the United States, and we're too blind, and you experienced it firsthand.
3: Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's that's completely accurate. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of blame to go around. You know, and one of the things that I kind of the best one of the best ways to kind of counter the encroaching CCP influence here in the United States, and I kind of you know reference this to a lot of different people, is uh, by saying you know hurt them in their wallet. Uh, we have to be kind of aware and vigilant of of where our products are coming from. Uh, what we're buying, uh, you know, even if you're one of those people who is you know, still on Amazon and, and using that platform, which, you know, I'd obviously advise against. But if you're if you're still one of those people by virtue of nothing more than convenience, you can always kind of go source the item. You can go look it up. Make sure what you're buying is not made in China. You know, there are other equivalents made in. Vietnam, Japan, Taiwan, (laughs) Korea, Mexico, uh, et cetera. So there's a lot of kind of um, replacements and alternatives that you should be using. But, you know, that's one of the kind of places where I tell a lot of the, you know, people, it's like, you know, we kind of did to a degree, even though this was forced upon us, uh, kind of willingly to a degree submit by not, you know, being aware and informed. So we have a responsibility to kind of go and source our items and see where they're being made and where they're coming from and ensuring that we're not buying Chinese-made, because there are alternatives. There are websites now out there. I think uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's China, might be China Alternative or China Supply or something, which is literally devoted to kind of informing people about, you know, alternative items made, you know, here in the United States or just abroad, you know, money just not funneled into the CCP coffers, (laughs) uh, because that money comes back to haunt us. Uh, And so one of the things that I blog and write about pretty extensively is the 1996 election scandal uh, with uh, Bill Clinton, uh who you know in Senate hearings and testimony and investigations and I'm stunned that this is not discussed more widely the 1996 election cycle uh scandal with the clintons uh should be watergate esque or or uh, you know on par with something uh, you know close to watergate and yet people don't talk about it people don't discuss it it was literally the funding of the dnc uh essentially Clinton's campaign by CCP officials. People were indicted over this. People literally fled back to China uh, to escape indictment and and, and prosecution. And there's kind of just crickets when it's brought up, Uh, you know, and, and I've read all the boring kind of Senate documents and the congressional, you know, hearings and investigative reports uh, and it's absolutely horrifying. I, Bill Clinton, you know, prior to the election was seen as, you know, un- irrelevant and, and, you know, a lot of the DNC staffers were concerned because no one, they, they, they assumed he was going to lose the election. And so they kind of kicked campaigning finance laws and private meetings to the window. And again, this is back in the 90s. Uh, and then hired on a lot of, uh, essentially kind of CCP-backed staff um, violating a litany of different, you know, laws, and regulations like the Hatch Act. And then uh, they basically started funneling money from the CCP into the DNC. And, uh, you know, the Clintons hit record campaign, uh, you know, uh, uh, earnings and, and, and all this other stuff. And then, of course, when people started to kind of peel away the layers and said, hey, what's going on here? Uh, all of a sudden you find, oh, they have to now return millions of dollars because it was funneled from illegal sources, funneled from CCP coffers, connected to CCP individuals, uh, and and people literally fled the country to avoid prosecution. Others were indicted, uh, and Bill Clinton himself refused to testify uh, at the hearing. So this is horrifying. It's stunning that this is not discussed, but this was the 90s. And so then my whole point is, well, you can imagine if that's what was happening in the 90s, where are things now? And and that's that's what needs to be addressed.
1: Well, not only that, it wasn't just 96. It was also, if you go to Hillary Clinton's Senate run in New York, and honestly, I, I'm a former New Yorker, and I said the moment she gets elected before she is sworn in, I'm leaving the state of New York, and I did. Super Bowl Sunday, we were down in South Carolina permanently. But the scandal that was around her That got swept under the rug, dealing directly with Chinese donations. She had this tremendous amount of donations coming out of New York City's Chinatown in the poorest area where people barely could rub two nickels together, but yet... Tons and tons of money was pouring out of Chinatown because Communist China was funneling money through Chinatown into her campaign coffers. And one person, I believe his name was Wong, got busted and got convicted on that one. One person. But the rest all fled, like you said. With Bill Clinton, the same thing happened with Hillary Clinton, and no one talks about it.
3: Exactly, and and it's just horrifying. And so you can just kind of, you know, hints at a larger, you know, scene that's happening in the United States, and you mentioned things like the Confucius Institute, Um, but there is consistent uh, CCP encroachment here in the United States, Uh, and this is happening at all levels, whether you look at TikTok, uh, which is technically, for all intents and purposes, Chinese-owned, where Christian and conservative voices are uh, routinely, you know, shadow banned and and, and censored and uh, kind of, you know, suppressed, uh, so this is happening in our social media platforms. This is CCP influence. Uh, this is happening in um, you know our media outlets where you have uh, – and you can go Google this right now if you're on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, go check out uh, – type just Google CUSEF, C-U-S-E-F, which was shut down by President Trump. Uh, It's the China-U.S. Exchange Exchange Foundation. Let me say that again, the China-U.S. Exchange Foundation, uh, which uh, is the organization that was literally flying American media outlets, personalities and journalists from, and it's all listed in government documents, uh, from CNN to, uh, I believe, even MSNBC and a lot of other different platforms uh, to China. They were taking them on trips, uh, literally stating, hey, you know, Come, you know, they, I think they were kind of under the guise of cultural trips, but uh, we want favorable coverage and all this other stuff, uh, whining and dining them. Uh, so the, this kind of CCP pressure has already occurred through our media outlets. Uh, our elections, going you know back to you know Hillary Clinton's campaign that you just referenced, going back to the 90s, uh, already with Bill Clinton's presidential race. Uh, that, um, this is happening through our you know, biggest companies, uh, not only in some instances hiring on Chinese nationals who you know, kind of specialize in censorship and big tech, uh, but you know, Chinese hacking into our systems, into our pipelines, et cetera, everything else is happening. So there's, there, there's CCP encroachment at all levels. Um, they have cozied up with um, certain congressional leaders as well. Um, I believe Natalie Winters has done, I think it's her name, has done a great job uh, highlighting and exposing a lot of what's happening between congressional leadership uh, and their very close uh, and very uncomfortable ties to China's Communist Party. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of CCP influence here. And, and what I tell people is the source of pretty much everything we're frustrated with, um, the kind of ongoing political, cultural, religious wars, this anti-American sentiment, all of this comes back to Chinese money. Uh, that's pretty much the source. And why are they so invested in us? Because we are not supposed to exist. When you live and work in China, uh, Chinese citizens are stunned that America not only exists but is a developed country and in their eyes more capable than China. So as an American on the ground in Beijing or Shanghai or Shenzhen or Chongqing or any of these other cities, uh, one of the recurring themes is that Chinese people are fascinated to meet Americans. They wanna know how does your country work? How do you work? How are you so open and free and still capable? Because what they're essentially taught in school uh, is that there is one way, (laughs) that is the Chinese way, that is the right way. There is no dissent, there is no questioning that system. There is blind submission to the Chinese Communist Party. uh, And and so China, in order for it to be validated and, and have its system of torture and detention and execution, uh, and, and widespread suppression validated, the U.S. has to be a failure. The U.S. has to collapse. The U.S. has to be mocked and ridiculed and embarrassed. And this is where we go back to what I referenced earlier. And you can buy the book. It's online. It's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's Unrestricted Warfare, written by two PLA, People's Liberation Army Colonels, in the 90s. Uh, where they talk about this is how you defeat America. And so all of these things that they write about, biological warfare, uh, uh, psychological warfare, economic warfare, cultural warfare, all of these things that are referenced in the book uh, are really being used against us today. And so uh, the threat from China is not just kinetic warfare, but it's all of these other fronts. And I've been on the receiving end of this. Not only is there censorship and suppression by things like big tech, um, but i 've seen the lifetime coordinated attacks against me uh, by what uh, the new kind of era, the new breed, and this is where it 's really dangerous of CCP influence, which is Western apologists where they use people from the United States, they use people from Canada, they use uh, you know British citizens who are living and working in China. Uh, to literally in real time attack anyone criticizing the country. So they have these kind of paid CCP shows, um, who are Western citizens on their payroll, um, pr- you know, pushing videos to Facebook, pushing videos to YouTube, which ironically are banned and blocked in China. Uh, you can go to prison for simply having a VPN on your you know, computer uh, if you're using a VPN on your phone. Uh, You know, there's all these platforms in China are blocked. There are no Western, you know, websites in any capacity. Everything is blocked. Everything that you and I use on a daily basis is blocked and banned in China. And so they have Chinese equivalents, these domestic equivalents. Um, But it goes back to how are these Westerners who live and work in China using, you know, YouTube, using Facebook, which you cannot access in the country, using Instagram, to attack me in real time as I'm posting things or talking about my experience, uh, it's because they're on Chinese payroll. So this is the new breed. This is the new kind of threat that we're dealing with, which is now they're starting to buy up our own people and use them against us on our platforms. Uh, so it's, it's scary. It's, it's truly an information war uh, that we're fighting right now. Uh, but in order for China to validate its existence, its governance, its system – the U.S. must fail. We must look foolish. We must look. We must be mocked. We must be ridiculed, and that has to happen on a global scale. Uh, and if they can accomplish that, then they can kind of continue to push uh, our ultimate demise, and then we can go into all those other things, you know, uh, currency devaluation, uh, governance, and all the other problems that the U.S. is dealing with. But that's a little bit more
1: downstream. Well, Go, go ahead. This is my co-host, Curtis. Go ahead, Curtis.
0: Yeah. Um, sounds like you had quite an experience with the Chinese. Um, as we know, there's little recourse over there as far as dealing with their government. But here in the United States, as you said, the, the people over there are amazed at how free we are, or at least we used to be. So my question to you um, having to deal with our type of social media today as it exists, are you able to or are you thinking about some legal recourse um, from them, kind of like banning you?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, Um, and it's a pleasure to to meet as well, Curtis. Uh, I have definitely considered it, definitely been on my mind in some capacity, Um, but, you know, I think a better – maybe not even a better, but just one approach that I like, and, and this is kind of going back to uh, one of my foundational arguments as a conservative, as a Republican in this country, uh, which is that we really need to be supporting each other. Uh, and, and one example of that, just in the, the big tech kind of you know, social media platform world, um, is that there are people who are working tirelessly. They're getting attacked and ripped apart, um, like the, the owners of, of Gab, which I, I work tirelessly to support, and there are conservatives and Republicans who kind of mock it and ridicule it and are like, oh, it's a bastion for you know, people who are still you know somewhat functional and they, they've been censored and they may have to go to Gab. These, the owners of Gab, I forget his name, Torba, something like that, these people are him. fighting, they're being attacked, they're being ridiculed, and we're not supporting them. We need to be on free speech platforms. We need to be supporting the right and conservatives um, and so instead of really kind of fighting these legal battles, I kind of consider Facebook and all these other platforms as lost territory, and I'd much rather go support free speech platforms, conservative platforms uh, like Gab uh, and, and other kind of, you know, viable options and really getting other people, well, you know, on our kind of side of the political spectrum to go fight and support um, those platforms where and when they exist. So so I, instead of going through this legal battle, I kind of, again, just consider Facebook a lost cause uh, and other big tech platforms, and I'd rather just go support, you know, the Torvas of this world who have built amazing platforms despite relentless attacks uh, and, and try and just get on, on their, their platforms and support it.
1: Yeah, I, I have been up on Gab I've, ever since they started. I was one of the first ones up there. Um, Andrew... Torba, thank you, uh, Daryl. I was trying, because Tim Selty is the Tea Party community. Andrew uh, Torba is Gab. Uh, but at one point, he was having a hard time for me broadcasting the show on there. And if he's got it up and done, I'm definitely going to make sure I post this over there. Uh, but Steve, I told you that I'm going to be bringing another friend on here uh, who also has a great new book out called Who is Karl Marx? And the two of you dovetail so well together. And I've known this gentleman, oh geez, for more than a decade. Uh he's I call him my teddy bear. So I wanna bring uh my teddy bear. James Simpson. Uh Jim, how are you today? <laughs>
4: Annie, great to be with you. I, I I uh well, I've lost a lot of weight since then, so it might not be a, a good a good uh nickname for me anymore. At least I hope not anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've got a short... My my kids said the same thing. My kids told me the same thing.
2: (laughs) But, you know,
1: the the two of you dovetail so well together because you, as an investigative journalist, have been uh, delving into this Marxist theology uh, that has given rise to these kids today who have no idea when they scream, socialism is better than capitalism, have no idea what they're talking Uh, about. In your little booklet goes back to the beginning, explains who Karl Marx is, and then you bring in a bunch of other characters, and you just tie it all together. Something that C yeah. probably should have read before he went to China.
4: Well, I'll tell you, yeah. I mean, it, my new book, Who Was Karl Marx?, and the subtitle, I think, describes it all very aptly. The Men... The motives and the menace behind today's rampaging American left, uh, that's what it is, that's what they are. They're all rampaging lunatics out to literally destroy our country, and it is all based on an intellectual justification provided originally by none other than Karl Marx, and then portage Forward into the 21st century by a successive group of radical communists and anarchists who, whose really only goal, uh, only really well-articulated goal is to destroy Western civilization. And that is their goal. You know, they always um, envision creating this brave new world uh, out of the rubble after they've destroyed everything. But, you know, the the details on that are very sketchy and really uh, not well thought through at all. In fact, not even thought through. They're so arrogant about their goals that they don't think they have to justify it. They don't think they have to think it through. They've already got it. All figured out. All we have to do first is Roy burn down the world as it exists, and and then we'll figure out what to do next. But they never do figure out what to do next.
1: Well, Steve, this is what you experience. You know, they have a superiority over any other ethnic. Uh, uh, ethnicity. They seem to feel that they are the master race. and uh, They make Hitler look like a schoolboy in essence. And what you experienced at their hands, um, especially that time you spent in the communist prison, um, they're doing that to you and you were able to get yourself out, but there are people still there. not just Not just a couple of weeks, but months, years. They die there. And no one knows. They just get swallowed up as if they're in a hole. But the Chinese Communist Party, they are the next best thing to Biden's favorite ice cream. You know, it's, it, they are they are in place of God. They replace God to the people.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what they do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I do agree with your
3: your guess with Jim Moore. He's completely on point. I mean, so much of what he said is correct. And and it's funny because there's so much overlap in our advocacy. Um, I actually dedicated, I'm not sure, my prologue literally to Karl Marx and kind of exposing his uh, chaotic mind and, and the utter nonsense that he, you know, had mostly no experience in. And so, you know, this great revolution, you know, the the, 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 up, the, the the rising of the proletariat against the bourgeois and all this other stuff. Um, even Karl Marx, post-revolution, didn't really understand what that society was supposed to even look like. Um, and if you go back to where this was tried in Chinese history, uh, where you had these kind of communes during the, the Great Leap Forward. Uh, where, by the way, millions of people die due to famine and starvation and brutal violence and, and uh, you know authoritarian you know murder, essentially, and state sanctioned execution, um, you have this society that's kind of lost, and no one really knows what to do with it. So people are starting to just... It's so nonsensical in terms of a practical sense that when it's actually applied into the real world... And, and one of the things that I kind of lecture and talk about extensively is communism in theory versus communism in practice. And communism in theory is an absolute mess, and you can get lost in that debate for <laughs> countless hours. And I don't – my personal kind of declaration is that a lot of people, you know, don't even really understand what it is or what it's supposed to be. Um, but what I generally attack is communism in practice. And we have a lot of different iterations of communism in practice that we can go to and look at the recurring themes that happen again and again and again. And I grew the Great Leap Forward was a perfect example where even Karl Marx himself – this post-revolution society where you finally have this, you know, communist society, he really wasn't even sure what that was really supposed to look like. It was vague at best. Um, And so a lot of people, you know, are are so sold and bought into this, you know, narrative where, you know, as as, as Jim mentioned, it's, it's this kind of burning down of the world. And China's already done that. We can go look at historical iterations where China literally Mao destroyed Chinese culture uh, where Mao literally, uh, you know, the, the destruction of the old fours, as it was refor- referred to, the destruction of different kind of components of c- civilization and, and society, they literally burn down the world, and then you get this just kind of like blank slate um, society and population where uh, there is no God, there is no religion, there is no purpose, uh, which is a huge problem in Chinese society today, and everyone's just kind of sitting there scratching their head, like what, what's the purpose, what's our calling, what's our meaning? There's this kind of void emptiness of uh you know, meaning in life. And, uh, and that's what you get, you get the destruction of society, which we're seeing here in the United States today. And then you end up with this blank slate where people are like, well, what are we supposed to do? And then essentially, the promise that was made to the Chinese people by Deng Xiaoping, when the country initially opened up, uh, was we'll make you wealthy, we'll make you rich, we'll make you the envy of the world. Um, but what happens when that fails, you're going to get a lot of uh uprisings and riots and destruction and so at some point that will catch up to china the economic miracle will no longer be a miracle uh and when that happens china will have its day of reckoning and it's going to be very difficult for them to to dig out of that hole
1: see that's why i wanted to bring that you and and jim together because the two of you just are basically writing the same thing at the same time well but different perspectives
4: except yeah except i would say that you know, Deng. what Deng really said, the most important thing he said, was that we don't want to destroy capitalism. We want to control it. And what they did was they enlisted the service of really gullible, self-centered, greedy American businessmen and really ignorant politicians to uh, <clears throat> help bring that about. They never intended to open up the economy To the nation, they they opened up the economy to themselves and to their children and to top members of the Communist Party, all of whom are the ones who own these uh, big factories and are the, you know, the crazy rich Asians. Uh, But they've already demonstrated that any effort to overthrow them, including by their own children, will be met with tanks in the street as they murdered their own children in the streets of Tenement Square by running them over with tanks because they got too uppity. Uh, In doing the Great Leap Forward, uh, Mao was, uh, you know, he was his main concern and the main concern of all communists and actually the purpose of communism is not to uh, free the um, oppressed of the earth. It is to... Enable a group of very vicious, particularly well-organized thugs to take power and seize it and hold it, and to keep all of the wealth that goes with that power. And that can't be uh, uh, that cannot be dismissed. They they both go together. And uh, you know, back in 1971. John Roche, who was a small D Democratic Socialist, was an advisor to both Kennedy and Johnson. And he was in favor of the Vietnam War because he had faced um, uh, communists uh, fighting against them in uh, his various roles in, in college. And uh, he said that – this is back in 71 – communism is not so much a – people talk about it as being uh, some kind of high theory, when in fact it is actually an operational code for a new style mafia more interested in holding and seizing and holding power than, in liberating the oppressed of the earth, and so when you think of, for example, the communist economy communist economy is not arranged to uh, distribute resources and distribute wealth evenly across a nation it 's specifically and exclusively to exert absolute control over the entire nation. you know when you, a lot of these uh, uh, socialists all talk about um, how they uh <clears throat> how they um consolidated all of the farms under one roof and uh that was not to create more efficiency that was to control in the soviet union's case the kulaks who had become too wealthy and too uppity and so by um, putting all of the farming under the state control, they were able to then decide how much should be produced and how much the people should keep versus how much the state should keep. And so Stalin turned that into a method for basically starving the kulaks, where he did not allow them to keep enough grain every year To survive throughout their harsh winters he required you know quotas and those quotas always precluded those farmers from having enough food every year so they starved I don't know what it was 10 million or more that way and under uh, Mao's great leap forward one of the things he did was he decided that it was much more important for the peasants, to be involved in mining rather than farming. Now, never mind the fact that most peasants had no experience with mining. They didn't know what to do with it. Um, But when they were forced to do this, once again, they were given quotas. And many of these peasants lived in areas that were nowhere near any mines where they could... uh, mine iron or any other metal, and so they wound up having to uh, melt all of their cooking utensils to meet the strict quotas that Mao imposed, and so they uh, gave up their ability to cook food, and at the same time, they gave up their ability to produce food because instead of farming, they were supposedly out mining for uh, iron and other metals. And once again, they starved to death. And that was one of the greatest uh, holocausts during the entire time of Mao's rule. But Mao did it strictly to control people. Uh, he, he had no interest in you know, whatever the outcome was. And anybody who dared to defy him or question him, well, you can't, you can't question the, uh, you know, the 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 wisdom of Mao is unchallengeable, and so those are the kind of things that happen. And uh, the same thing with the Cultural Revolution. Mao was losing his grip, so he decided to uh, enlist the help of college students in. Uh, creating chaos and making it difficult for those who were around him to see his power. And that's really what it's all about when it comes to communism. It's all about power, power for themselves and wealth for themselves at everybody else's expense.
1: Well, Steve... You know, Steve, you you faced that where they went in and they had to control part of your business. And I've I've spoken to many people about this, including General Spaulding, uh, Gordon Chang is a dear friend. Jim, I think you were at the same Tea Party convention as Gordon was that that one year. I we all met together. That could be. Um, yeah, I know Gordon. But, yep. Yep. But he's I, I love his wife. She's so adorable. Um, but. Um, <laughs> If you are an American or you're any foreigner doing business in China, Steve, uh, the Chinese government has to monitor you and have at least two members of the Communist Party part of your business, right?
3: Yeah, so there's there's a lot to be said there, and, and I want to thank Jim for his just very spot on description of uh, you know both the Cultural Revolution and um, the Great Leap Forward. I, I could not have said it better myself. I mean, he is so accurate. But I do want to touch on briefly as well one point that you brought up, too, with with this kind of, you know, system of, of, you know, authoritarian governance in mind, which is that you mentioned religion. Um, The common question that I get often from people is, well, what is the religion in China? What is the religion in China? To which now I state quite clearly, the religion in China is the state. Uh, The the, the fear that emanates from um, China due to, you know, and and the other question I get is, is what keeps China... And the CCP up awake at night, it is religion, it is God, it is Christian, mm-hmm. the Christianity, it is the Christian America, which is American, which is why we 're under this heavy persecution in this country, and again, a lot of this stems from the CCP and their, their money that floods into this country. You cannot have in that system of control where you know Mao 's great supreme authority cannot be questioned or Xi Jinping the iteration today uh that they can never be quote, uh, uh, questioned they are essentially a system of religion and it is taught mm-hmm. from the, it is indoctrinated in these <clears> minds <throat> from the time that they are children in china uh you will you know you, you do not question the state you do not dissent against it one of the things that i heard routinely when i was living in china is that um, chinese nationals refer to the state as the quote-unquote black box why because you can't see into the black box you don't know what happens in the black box Uh, All that they kind of say is, well, you know, the the governance is too big for our lives. We just let the the politicians deal with it. Sometimes they enact new laws. We we then follow those laws, but we don't get involved in the black box. What happens in the black box stays in the black box, and we just kind of follow the the things that happen. Um, So religion is one of the things that they fear. Um, China's stuck between an Iraq and a hard place uh, with all religion, and it's not just Christianity, of course. We are the kind of preeminent iteration of it globally, the, the you know successful Christian Americans and and, and you know successful Christian America, uh, and so our model has to fall and fail, and we have to look foolish and dumb. And, and this is you know, again unrestricted warfare, and this is where all that comes into play. But this is also why China has you know millions of Xinjiang Muslim Uyghurs locked up in a you know in concentration camps you cannot have any version of god any religion anything that supersedes their supreme authority to rule keeps them awake at night and so there's a massive growth of christianity in china today which they fear there is the you know muslim Uyghur issue there are tibetan buddhists uh falun gong practitioners all of these different kind of versions of a spirituality a god a uh, religious belief that supersedes the state and the Communist Party cannot exist in any kind of capacity or scale, uh, because it would tip the balance of power and all of a sudden this kind of lie that they've been sold, you know, indoctrinated in their minds from the time they're students in school, uh, is, you know, kind of is all for naught. And all of a sudden now there's purpose, now there's meaning. And so you do have a huge uprising in my book, one of the last chapters, I literally devote to this concept, which is the massive growth in Christianity amongst the Chinese population today, and China does not the Communist Party does not know how to deal with it they don't know what to do um, in some uh, some uh, provinces they're literally rewriting a new communist Chinese version of the Bible uh, which is mm-hmm. horrific for a number of reasons, but that's the length they're going to, to suppress the message of God, to suppress the message of Christianity and, and Christian America um, and to the second point that you brought up yes, um, so part of this indoctrination is that not only can you not uh, be religious or Christian or Muslim or anything um, but downstream from that you are not to trust foreigners in China and again in the book I explain literal national campaigns of you know why how to report foreign nationals uh, how foreign nationals are not to be trusted Uh, literally them putting up in different um, apartment complexes posters uh, talking about how to identify and how to report uh, a non-Chinese national, a foreigner, uh, who is possibly stealing state secrets. Uh, and, and this is not uncommon. So there's a very high level of distrust um, amongst the Chinese population that stems from these CCP campaigns uh, to not trust foreigners. So if you're building a company in China like I did, uh, you are on the receiving end of, of heavy kind of uh, – Red tape and bureaucratic censorship. If you try to start a wofi, a wholly owned foreign enterprise as it's called in China, uh, you're gonna go through a, a much longer rigorous process to own your own business there, uh, than a, you know, a Chinese national or someone who's incorporating with a Chinese partner. So basically for all intents and purposes, the average small business owner like myself Really has to have a Chinese partner; uh, otherwise, you're you know you're up against a very painful uphill battle.
4: Yeah, yeah. you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere uh, uh, unless you have a partner. Uh, I have a friend who's been doing that for decades, working over there, and he speaks uh, fluent uh, Cantonese uh, Mandarin. Uh, he was a well. He has an Asian wife, um, and uh, yeah, it's it, they're not there to participate and help any Western capitalist. They're there to basically confiscate, allow us to build stuff there until it's time, till they see time is fit, and then they'll just confiscate it at all. They don't, they don't really don't have any interest, and they don't care about uh, the outcome either because their goal ultimately is to take over the West. That's always been their goal. And, uh, you know, in uh, Who Was Karl Marx? I talk, uh, actually, I address that whole issue in addition to talking about how Marxism came into this country and what it really is versus what they claim it to be. Um, I talk about some of the international uh, Consequences, uh, because and connections, because for example, Mark Levin has a best-selling book called American Marxism, and he mm-hmm. makes the case that America has this special form of Marxism, which is really not true at all. Uh, American Marxism is Marxism simply applied in the United States in order to facilitate uh, their ability. To take over in the United States, given uh, the circumstances they face in the United States. So for example, the US, we have an open society, we have a democratic uh, a political process, we have uh, uh, a culture that believes in giving people an even shake and fairness, and uh, they take advantage of all that. And so the only thing unique about marxism in america is simply how the international communist movement has assessed it can best be uh, mainlined into the united states without us knowing about it but in the meantime i talk about uh, the threat from both communist china and uh, russia for that matter which just seems to be dismissed these days because everybody believes we won the cold war and we defeated communism well if that was the case how why is communism so uh, prevalent and spreading like wildfire all over the world we really didn't and the communist chinese have expressed openly well in secret speeches that their goal is to find a way to literally and they call it clean up america by murdering between 100 million and 200 million Americans so that they can colonize our society. And the Chinese general that made that speech to the top leaders of the Communist Party uh, said back in about 2005 or so that the best way to do that would be with a weaponized virus. And so I don't believe that uh, COVID was that weaponized virus but what i believe about covid that i'm virtually certain i know it was a uh, it's a bioweapon it was created as such in the uh wuhan institute of virology but i think it leaked out and then they just took advantage of that fact uh, but they intend on doing something like that to our nation, because they want to colonize our country, and as long as we're populating it, they can't really colonize it.
1: Well, you know, so, you know, you said a lot there, a- right there, because Jim, the, what I've been talking about on the show, there was a, there is a Nobel Peace Prize winner scientist out of France who broke down the genomes in the virus and identified where it was spliced into the virus, the AIDS virus. The only way that could happen is if Uh it was done deliberately. And the only way you can get that virus to transmit from person to person and spread is by using that AIDS virus. It allowed it to attach to our bodies. So Mm -hmm. I have been saying this for the longest time. Back in 2019... I was hearing about some outbreak in the Wuhan province because I had two friends working as missionaries there. And they were telling uh-huh. us ahead of time. So back in December of 2019, I started you know, making my own face masks. I knew something yeah. was coming. I was making my own wow. hand sanitizer. When it was finally announced uh-huh. in January, it's like, well, uh-huh. what took you so long? Yeah, we knew right. about this, we on the ground, but yeah. not. But our government yeah. just would not admit it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, and and the, the government really is uh I believe uh guilty of um mass murder, really, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh the government also prevented us from uh using things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and I believe that that was <clears throat> deliberately done to uh help ensure that Donald Trump would take a big part of the blame for all the people who are dying and that that would ultimately work on the Democrats behalf in the 2020 election. Um, I mean, it's awfully cynical, but these people are just simply monsters. There's no other way to describe them.
1: Well, then again, we ask ourselves, why did George Soros and Gates invest in this specific company that was running this lab. If you look back to the people that actually invested in it, why did Fauci authorize NIH money grants to be sent to this lab? They knew what was going on.
4: Well, yeah, I think they did and I think that you have people like uh, Fauci who uh, just flatter themselves to believe that they know better than most people, and that, well, of course, their communist Chinese friends are just reasonable people, and there's nothing to matter with oh, all this stuff about them being dangerous. Just so much hogwash and poo-poo, all that. And then you have guys like Bill Gates who think they're on part of a grand mission and probably got suckered into believing that with uh, through, uh, you know, by spending time with the communist Chinese and being Suckered, sucked up to you know flattered uh because Bill Gates is not really an expert on anything uh although he seems to feel that he has the right to um uh, <laughs> to dictate to to the world uh because of some unique special uh <clears throat> brilliance he has which he doesn't have um and and that's just so typical of the left in fact. Eh, in fact, early on in 1919, Willie Munzenberg, who was one of the many radicals I talk about and who was Karl Marx that nobody has ever heard of, of but these were absolutely key people in bringing communism to the United States and the world. Willie Munzenberg we ha- said, we have to organize the intellectuals and use them to make Western civilization stink, because only then, when we have corrupted all its values and made life impossible, can we impose the dictatorship of the proletariat. And of course, you know, the question arises, well, Marx said, uh, workers of the world, you have nothing to lose but your chains, you know, unite. And, um, but the workers of the world didn't unite and become the cannon fodder of the communist revolution That Marx envisioned And you know That element of Marxism uh, That prediction by Marx Just wasn't working out So they kind of had to come up With a different plan And it was very interesting That Munzenberg said We must organize the intellectuals Because he recognized That unlike the proletariat you know, the workers, the average American type, uh, or in Britain, you know, the average laborer, they might not be educated, but they weren't fools. They weren't going to become cannon fodder in some revolution where just because some, you know, arrogant, uh, overfed, fat, arrogant, uh, spoiled brat, rich guy from Germany said that they should do so but the intellectuals the college professors oh what's their biggest what's the biggest most noticeable aspect of those people is their pride and their conceit and their belief that they know more than everybody else so you just go and you just flatter the heck out of them oh yes you can square that circle Nobody else before you has been able to do that, but you can square that circle and uh, bring communism to the world and save the world. And of course, the intellectuals believe it, believe it simply because they're so absolutely toweringly arrogant. And so, my goal was to use them and to flatter them and to do it, and it worked.
0: Change. it worked. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just wondering, this is um, C.S. Bennett, the co-host. I, I yes, was sir. wondering what power and influence um, and role does this mindset of collectivism play in getting um, people from, you know, Western um, cultures to buy into socialism? And, and right. the reason why I ask that is because with this COVID um um Scamdimmit, that's going on. A lot yeah. of people I talk to are convinced that we have to do what is good for the, you know, collective um, right. many versus the individual. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah. um, we we need to give up some of our rights to serve the good, uh, you know, of the many. And I, yeah. like I said, I I see this as another tool to get our people and citizens to start looking at socialism as a, a, a alternate um, way of governance. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, that's the term I was trying to think of before, was collective farms, uh, and, uh, and, and that's exactly right. Um, collectivism has nothing to do with um, collective benefits. It has to do with control. But they really like to use that term collective because it gives the idea, you know, it's like what did Hillary Clinton say, uh, takes a village, you know, and what she really meant was it takes the government or it takes the collective. And the idea, and this has been uh, – kids in college have been indoctrinated with the whole socialist idea that the collective – is so superior and once again they talk about it they sell it under the mantle of compassion they sell socialism to by appealing to our normal instincts what are our normal instincts our normal instincts are we believe in fairness we believe in giving everybody in, in equal shake uh you know we, we don't believe in in prejudice, we want to be egalitarian, and so that's how they sell it, and they sell it under the mantle of compassion, you know, how could you not be for immigrant rights, how could you not be for, you know, allowing, for gay rights, you know, for uh, people of that persuasion to, uh, you know, express their um, affections openly, you know, uh, but but what they say and what they mean are always, as we know, two different things. When they talk about immigrants' rights, they're not talking about immigrants, they're talking about illegal aliens. <laughs> and they work to uh, make the two one of the same, and, and they are completely, distinctly legally in opposites. And so, it's 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 deception it's practiced deception and it's but it's sold to us under the mantle of compassion and so especially young people who want to fit in who want to be accepted by their fellows and at the same time have you know the youthful arrogance that allows them to think that, you know, the old folks are are fuddy-duddies, they don't know anything, and, uh, you know, they've got the handle on what the truth is all about, and their belief in that is reinforced by college professors who flatter them with that kind of idea and at the same time attack and vilify anybody who challenges that idea The natural impulse of people is to, uh, you know, step into it and say, oh, this is all a good idea. Well, what's the matter with socialism? You know, uh, making everything equal, giving everybody equal opportunities, giving everybody uh, the kind of um, lifestyle that everybody deserves and should have, you know, never mind whether they earn it or not. Um, And uh, so it's all justified under false pretenses, but it plays to both our compassion, our ego, our pride, as well as our natural desire to fit in and be accepted by others. And if the entire popular culture, Hollywood to media to um, education and everything else, tells you you're a good person if you buy into this and you're nothing but a, uh, you know, a hater or a racist or a deplorable, if you oppose it, people will jump on just to be on the safe side, you know,
0: just well, so that they okay. don't
4: have to face the uh, consequences of being vilified and, um, marginalized by the society around them, including their friends, family, and community. Well,
1: well, uh, guys, um, I just want to let people know that the, here on Southern Sense, listening to uh, Jim Simpson, he's got a great uh, book out called Who Was Karl Marx? And our other guest sitting quietly right now, <laughs> Stephen Sharer, surviving Chinese uh, communist detention. We do have a caller in on the line. Let's bring him in because he said he has a question. George, you're here listening to Southern Sense. I'm your host, this Annie, the radio chickadee. Uh, you have a question for which guest, Jim or Stephen or for both?
5: For both. Uh, my name is George Lombardi. I'm here in uh, in West Palm Beach in Florida. It's a nice state with a very, very good uh, uh, governor. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. uh, Well, unfortunately, I'm, you know, originally I came about 30 years ago from Italy, so we are pretty familiar with Marx. The problem is here, especially when I talk to young people, they don't have the faintest idea of uh Who Marx is, and not only what he said and what he did, and uh how the the Russian Revolution really kind of set up uh the world you know a hundred years backward so uh this is what's happening in america right now we We're going through a marxist revolution, and uh that's right some of us some of us have seen it coming, and I think uh Donald Trump was one of them. Uh, yep. But uh, a lot of other people seem to be asleep. So my question is not so much about uh, the people that are you know bringing that revolution uh, paid by the Chinese or corrupted by the Chinese and or or just stupid people, but why is so many people, especially in the institutions, like what shocks me is like the military. How can they not see? Are they blind? Are they being paid off? Uh, Are they being brainwashed? I mean, how do the leaders in the institution, especially the intelligence community, the military, uh, but also, you know, some of academia, we understand academia has always been a little bit on the left, but, you know, there is very intelligent, very, you know, the smart people in, in academia and they seem also completely asleep. Why, why is that? Well,
1: let's we'll like even take I, this one. Yeah, Steven, go ahead. Yeah,
3: no, it's a great question because it do- I'll yield the floor to Jim in a second because it dovetails off of what Jim was just talking about, uh, the academic issue. And, yes, we are being sold deceit and lies through the medium of compassion. I could not agree more. He captured it perfectly and eloquently. But what I would add to that. And the thing that is, I think, the missing component in this broader equation, there is one variable that is not discussed, and that variable is money. There is a heavy financial incentive that is not discussed in this country uh, that the universities are on the receiving end of. There is a large amount of money funneled by the CCP and by Chinese scholars and universities and organizations into American universities to the point where they have become reliant on that Chinese money uh, to the degree where um, I remember when there was this scandal, right? I think it was with USC and some American actresses who paid some money to um, universities to get their kids into the, the front door. And uh, we can right. debate that left, right, and center. But that is the medium. I worked in the education industry in China, and I knew the companies and the people and the you know Westerners who were working for these organizations who literally write all of the um, – letters uh, for the application to literally compile. They just get paid a certain amount of money. They, have, they go do speeches, and they have all of the, the relationships with Western universities. I mean, Xi Jinping's daughter studied at Harvard, right? CCP officials, yeah. Yeah. left, right, and center, have their kids study at, at, at these institutions. Uh, why? Because they get paid out. And so it's ironic to me that we're holding these actors and actresses like, accountable in the United States for funding some money to get their kids into USC or whatever it was. Where that is the default <laughs> for any Chinese student going to an American university, it is a huge – you just pay a certain amount of money. Hey, we'll get you into you – know, pick a university. And every single month you have – I mean, I remember when I was in Beijing, you have the Yale Center, you have the Harvard Center, the Stanford Center. I mean, you have every single mm-hmm. major university in the United yeah. States literally in Beijing, having meetings, come do a talk, come to a seminar. We want to meet the Chinese students. And what did the Chinese students who come study at our university say over and over and over again? The ones that in some instances I worked with, well, why do you want to go to America? Well, I want to learn American education so I can come back and strengthen China. And, and the Chinese Communist Party was the recurring thing that was said right. over yeah. and over and over again. And how reliant are they? I've been on the receiving end of this as well my own university, Sonoma State University in the Bay Area, will not speak to me in any capacity. They highlight countless alumni who have um, authored books, none of which are bestsellers, by the way. I happen to become a bestseller on Amazon for human rights under my category. Um, And so I'm one of the few, uh, probably the only alumnus from Sonoma State University in the Bay Area to become a number one bestseller. And they are Uh, you know, uh, social media pages are plastered with, oh, you know, so-and-so has written book X or so-and-so has written a kid's book, blah, blah, blah. So you would think, hey, you know, for a tiny public university to have a number one best-selling author, uh, that would be something you'd want to highlight. And I have been ostracized from my own university, and I think the equation there as well, and I don't know for sure, this is speculation, why they have hung up on me when I call, why I will not get a response from, you know, any of my emails when I have universities around, you know, the U.S. talking to me about, hey, come do a speech here, do a talk here, uh, is because the equation, I believe, is that they've balanced as Chinese money over, you know, an alumnus who, you know, is criticizing China's Communist Party. So the, the underlying girder here, I think that the framework that a lot of this is built upon is not only deceit and psychological warfare, but it's literal yeah, it's financial money. funding yeah. uh, from China's Communist Party. Yeah,
4: it's absolutely true. Yeah, that is absolutely but true. Is very it good possible
3: point. That, uh,
5: is it possible that everybody else that, you know, it's like beside a few people like yourself and a few others, they're speaking out, they're like, you know, I don't know, Mark Levine on Fox or other people, you know other intellectuals why why so many others are silent I mean it's not possible that everybody got paid. you know I mean, you obviously are not, so
1: uh, uh, media. is it controlling the media are they are afraid. No, They control oh, yeah, the media. They control so, Hollywood. They control the media. Yeah. Uh, the New York yeah. Times and Washington Post, yeah. Post had a big scandal about the amount of money. The Chinese Communist Party was paying into them last year. Yeah. But no, yeah. the media will not say a word because it's their bread and butter. Yeah,
4: yeah it's their bread yeah, and I butter. And same thing with and Hollywood. Hollywood. Same thing with Hollywood. Same, Hollywood. same thing with uh, – but, you know, in people are coming around to that. And the thing that we have to realize is that the fact that they're getting money and that that is a big part of the deal is points to a solution to this issue. You know, uh, with President Trump and other leaders like that in charge, uh, perhaps we could prevent American universities from accepting money from China. You know, we could that we could stop uh, state governments and the federal government from subsidizing public universities, uh, and, and as I put in the conclusion of my book, for any reason that we don't like. Uh, you know, all we need to do is have the political power and the will to do that. Now, it's a big question whether we ever will get that power, but as you pointed out, George, you know, uh, Governor DeSantis is doing a fantastic job in Florida, and I don't doubt that he would be open to the idea of denying state funding to state universities that uh, took money from China, state universities that uh, refused to have a diverse, uh, uh, you know, uh, staff of uh, instructors and professors, and by diverse I mean Not all radical leftists, you know, uh, teachers that would actually teach their courses, uh, force state universities to abandon those utterly useless uh, left-wing programs, you know, like uh, women's studies and all this other garbage (laughs) that is nothing but a training ground for radical leftists. You know, they really aren't of any value. Jim...
1: Jimmy, you said something important because I know in here in South Carolina, there was legislation. I think it got stymied because the Democrats get a lot of donations, believe it or not, from the Communist yep. Party. Yep. But to do oh, exactly geez. that, and <laughs> we've been trying to get it Christ, passed onto McMaster's desk to get him to sign, and he's willing to sign it. But, Steve, yep. you mentioned about the academia. But what is also happening is that when the Chinese send their kids here, the kids are hmm. monitored by agents. Mm-hmm. And if the agents yeah. um, step out of line, their families back yeah. home are threatened.
3: So Steve, it's am it's I tougher, right yeah. or
1: wrong? They're being sent here and they're told they're sent here specifically to steal secrets and bring them back.
3: Yeah, yeah no, there's, there's a couple things there. A hundred percent. I mean, not only is that one of the mediums of espionage, but there was a great article that I just posted on my LinkedIn, uh, literally yesterday that was shared to me about how, uh, there are, it's even worse than that they're essentially Chinese, and I think it's ProPublica or Pro something published this article, and it's a very lengthy in-depth, I mean, expose on actual Chinese hit teams that come to the United States. They fly in, they say, hey, we're Chinese operatives, we're, we're, we're literally a Chinese police officer. In some instances, they work for Interpol, et cetera. They will come into the United States and then pay uh, private investigators here to find political kind of refugees and people who have been, you know, convicted by mainland China of quote unquote, um, you know, financial, you know, uh, crimes, they will literally try to find them. Try in some cases. I mean, it was alleged uh, in Canada that they drugged one of the Chinese nationals at a Four Seasons hotel, wheeled him out in a wheelchair. Uh, and flew him back to China, to to, to mainland China. This happens over and over again. They're literal hit teams. And for the first time, it was actually um, prosecuted. And and, and all of this kind of came out and was unraveled. It's a fascinating story uh, to literally smuggle Chinese citizens out of the country through any means necessary Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and to get them back into mainland China so that they can, you know, stand trial, not that there's really a trial, it's really more like to be detained and tortured uh, or executed right. for their crimes. But I would even offer a, a different vantage point is not only is this happening in the United States, but if you go Google or YouTube, um, the name Andrew Pavlo, uh, Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, uh, Pavlo, P-A-V-L-O-U, he is a university student in Australia who had the gall to simply do, I think it was a human, I think what all started was a human rights um, protest against China, something about, you know, defend Hong Kong or free Tibet, something along those lines. Uh, and his story, 60 Minutes did an incredible expose, 60 Minutes Australia on his story. Uh, he was at his, at his protest on a co- Australian college campus. Overnight, he was attacked by Chinese, I mean, there was a mob of Chinese students who started attacking him, and not only Chinese students, there were Chinese adults, operatives that they believe worked with the Chinese embassy in Australia with, like, microphones in their ears and walkie-talkies who were there literally trying to dismantle his protest. Then, if we want to talk about the funding and the financial component, and this is all covered in the 60 Minutes um, thing, again, just YouTube, it's on YouTube, Google uh, Andrew Pavlo, P-A-V-L-E-O-U, On top of that, overnight, practically, for simply holding a protest, he was then uh, barred by the university, kicked out, um, I think literally banned from being able to attend the university anymore. Here you have like an 18, 19-year-old kid who's trying to do, you know, a free speech kind of like, you know, hey, help Hong Kong defend, you know, free, free speech and free, you know, assembly and all these other things, attacked by grown CCP-like operatives from the embassy and then kicked out of his own university. It's a fascinating story. Um, and so whether you're Amazing. reading that initial article or you're reading about Andrew's story, both are just the, the levels of encroachment, the existence of these hit squads, to dismantle any type of criticism against the CCP is stunning. And, and, and that brings me back to my fundamental point. The more you criticize the CCP, the closer you get to what I think is the source of pretty much all the bad that we can point to here in the U.S. right now, uh, this, this you know, influence of socialism and communism and all this other nonsense. The closer you get to criticizing them, the more you're going to come under attack. And that's what I've been on the receiving okay. end of, and that's what you're going to find.
5: Well, well have, I've already had that. Anybody has been putting some posts on Facebook, you know that you have been, you have been persecuted and, and uh, yep. you know, yep. from here, from Mr. Zuckerberg yeah. Yeah. and probably from his Chinese wife. I mean, you know, he's married to a Chinese woman that probably brainwashed him, you know. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. we are experiencing that right now, right here.
1: Yeah. Well, George, thank you, thank, you for, thank you for the call, George. And I'm glad to have a new listener, thank uh, George. Thank you thank so much. God bless. All right. Uh, but if we have, um, I've experienced it where I was in the middle of doing a show about the Gong with Mitch Gerber, who is an activist, you know, trying to help you get the message out about what is going on. And twice the show got shut down. I, my hands weren't even on the keyboard. And it was saying, the show has ended. I was like, no, 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 no. Someone, someone had hacked into the system and took the show down. And then I find my homepage taken down. And then I find my Facebook page was locked. And so, yeah. And I I will guarantee when I go to post the show up later on, strange things are going to happen, but Steve, I'm going to post it. Jim, I'm posting it. You know me, I'm stubborn. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I think I was mentioning that as you're listening, guys, if you're listening on, even if this is in the archives, click on the uh, description under Stephen's name and James name. You can click on there and get their books because Stephen wrote, surviving Chinese communist detention. He spent time inside a Chinese prison for three weeks, which was more like 30 years to him, being starved. And there's torture where someone can physically hit you, and then there's torture where you're sleep depraved, you're malnourished, Uh, you are put in with 16 other people that are about ready to rip your throat out, and you had to endure that 24-7 for three solid weeks until you were finally rescued. Uh, James, your book was Who Was Call Marx? So that's why I wanted to get the two of you together, uh, because the yep. two of you dovetail so well, and I think actually the two of you should maybe uh, basically get together and work on maybe a, another book between the two of you.
4: Well, you never know.
3: Would love to. I'm always open to collaboration. And that's kind of my overarching Uh theme is is we really, there's so few of us that really understand, have seen, you know, the the other side, have escaped Plato's cave, so to speak, and have seen what's out there. and, and, And we need to really collaborate, talk, support each other. Uh, and uh, and that's what's going to get us over the goalpost. Um, we really have to work with one another, support each other, and really make sure we're we're advocating each other's voices because we're on the receiving end, not only of of you know censorship and now big tech censorship, but of course now Western apologists who are paid by the CCP uh, to attack us, uh, you know, people from our own country. Um, so, yep. so it really is a universal fight, and we have to all be on the same page because, you know, as, as Jim knows, as you know, as I know, uh, we don't want what's on the other side. We've seen it, we understand it, we've lived through it, we've experienced it. In my case, it nearly killed me, uh, and there's no world where I where I will ever submit to that system of governance or or uh, you know societal kind of rule. So, uh, it's really going to take all of us on the same being on the same page here.
1: Absolutely. No, I've got one question for you, Steve, because you talk about when you were arrested, you had Neil and Carl with you, and ironically, his first name is Carl, but he was a a Spanish Marxist. Have you ever heard from either one of them, know what the outcome of them were? Because I know Neil was released, but whatever happened to Carl, do we know?
3: Yeah, so we all actually got deported on the same day, luckily. Um, We all got pulled out and deported on our different flights back to our respective countries, um but uh yeah i you know carl kind of just disappeared neil still (laughs) every year he says like happy anniversary he will send me a message here and there on like that day where we were released from from detention and we talk here and there uh but uh yeah it's it's just utter psychosis and and um you know luckily the three of us survived we made it out um, but, again, I was concerned for Carl's well-being. He was not doing well. Um, he was, I think, in a cell that had um, maybe even arguably worse conditions than me, um, and I kind of write about that in the book. Uh, and, and that was largely, I think, due in part to some of the people he was locked up with. But, um, you know, there was, there was genuine concern. The one time we were, you know, released from our prison cells a week to go on, like, a, you know, a freezing cold march around the courtyard for, for a few minutes, uh, you know, I would be able to see him or I would be able to see um Neil and just kind of catch up and be like, hey, how are things? What's happening in your cell? Have you heard anything? You know, have you heard from your embassy? Have you heard from yours? And and, and so we had those kind of conversations and you know, information in a in a you know black site Chinese prison cell is really a form of currency. It's 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 everything. And so um, luckily, you know, where and when we could talk, you know, I tried to be supportive to Carl and stuff. But yeah, we I do hear from uh, Neil. Carl, I, I, he just kind of, I don't know, I, disappeared. But um, I do, Neil and I still do talk from time to time.
1: Yeah. And the other thing the two of you have in common, Jim, is you're both IP guys. So uh, uh, Neil, you're together. Oh, put I'm not an IP a... guy. No. no. I'm not an IP oh.
4: guy, no. No. Oh. <laughs> no, not me. Nope. (laughs) Give that to anybody else but me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to have to have both of you uh, back on uh, when I do have the new Internet hookup if I ever get it hooked up, I actually ended up having to call into the corporate offices. So things got started to get moving. So we'll see how soon we can do that. Because that way I can get you both on the video uh, so that we can all see each other as we're talking. It's great to do it this way. But I'd like to look at people and see them as we're talking. It it brings a a more intimate uh, feel and more informative feel to the show. So hopefully that'll be real soon for the two of you.
4: That'd
3: be great. Eh? Yeah, that'd be great. Looking forward to it.
1: Well, well, Steve, uh, where else can people find you besides looking on Amazon for Surviving Chinese Communist Detention, your book?
3: Yeah, uh, well, uh, I am on uh, Gab, um, and so I've, I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, you can search my name or you can search in Chinese Communist Detention. I'm there. Um, And then I'm also on on LinkedIn uh, as well, where I do a lot of advocacy on both platforms, really kind of just pushing information. uh, And ensuring other, there's a lot of other great voices who are doing and and pushing and creating great content about this. Um, You know, in in some cases, one of them is the first YouTuber, Western YouTuber ever uh, in mainland China, uh, who, who kind of fled China and, 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 you know, came to the United States. And there's there's a lot of different kind of voices who, you know, I try to kind of share their stories and promote not only my own, but theirs as well to make sure that we're all kind of, you know, advocating and being heard in some capacity. But, uh, yeah, I would say Gab and, and LinkedIn are probably my two, you know, best platforms.
1: Okay. And then Jim?
3: Well, probably the best way to get my book
4: and to read A lot of the articles that I've written over the years is to go to my website, which is crisisnow.net, crisisnow.net, and there is a direct link to the Amazon page uh, to order my book uh, right there at the top of the, uh, right there at the beginning of the page, and then beneath it are links to archives of my articles over many years.
1: And matter of fact, you're also the author of the Red Green Axis series. And I see you now That's have true. a new one mm-hmm. out, uh the Red Green Axis two which you did not yep. send me. Shame on you. You gotta sign a copy oh, and send my me a goodness. copy. All
4: right, I'll do that. I'll do that. As soon as I get back. I All
1: right, there. and there's a link to your website over on on the show page too. So as they listen to the archives, they can click on uh, Steve the link to your book, Surviving Chinese Communist Detention, and Jim your new book, Who Killed Who Was? I'm uh, not no, not Who Killed Who Was? Karl Marx, as well as to CrisisNow.net. God bless you both, and you know, as Great. soon as I get this up and running the way I want, I'm going to have you both back.
4: Great, Annie. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you don't take care. Yeah. Thank you All very right. much. All God right.
1: bless you, both of you, Steve Scherr and James Simpson. James still is my teddy bear. I don't care how much weight he lost. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's bring on our next victim. And I'm not going to be traveling to Florida if I don't treat him too well, uh, Sheriff Gator Deloche. Welcome back to the show, Gator. How are you today?
6: I'm doing great, Annie. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing fine. Matter of fact, I've got all these notes, and I'm going to wave them in front of the camera from what I was doing with Jim and Steve. And it's like about an inch thick with Jim's other book. uh, And I didn't even get to touch them. Holy moly. Uh, But what an interview. Anyway, um, uh, Curtis told me that you wanted to come on the show because people are talking about the southern border and illegal aliens uh, flooding across. And they always talk about Texas. And they, Arizona, but no one really talks about what's going on in Florida, especially in the Everglades. Give us the lowdown and the scoop.
6: Annie, let me just tell you, uh, Sheriff Gordon Smith and I and several other sheriffs from across the state actually had an opportunity to accompany uh, U.S. Representative Kat Kamek and some of her staff to McAllen, Texas, last week. And I was I was in shock at uh, at what we saw when we got out there. Uh, so you know what I would say to you is yes, there is there is a crisis beyond epic proportions at the uh, southern border um, that the Border Patrol and Texas Department of Public Safety and National Guard are, are trying their best to uh, control right now. Um, but the re- the reality of it is is that it's not just there. Every every town in the United States is a border town. Um, Right now we're in the process of uh, wrapping up a a very lengthy investigation that's stretched uh, almost over a year now um, that I'd love to share some more details with you about, but unfortunately we're still tying up some loose ends from that case. Uh, But it has a direct nexus back to Mexico and the border where uh, all of us sheriffs collectively and Representative Kamek just visited. Um, I can I can tell you that there were some uh, large seizures of, uh, of drugs that were made in that case and several arrests, and I'm eager to, to share some information with everyone about that, but it's just going to be a little bit longer before we're able to really release any of those details. So, you know, this immigration issue really affects everyone in the United States, not just those that are uh, sort of on the front lines or at ground zero, so to speak.
1: Well, we got Sheriff Gordon Smith with us, too. Uh, welcome aboard, sir.
7: Welcome. Enjoy listening to your show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And, and you're, how are you linked up with uh, Gator here?
7: Uh, one is we're neighbors. Uh, we've been friends a long time. I've worked in law enforcement for quite some time now. But uh, I'm going to tell you, my eyes were wide open. I received so much information in such a short period of time at the border. I was trying to, like, To get a drink of water out of a fire hose, it was so overwhelming just to see firsthand the crisis. And we say, when Sheriff Deloach mentions that the border town is every town in America, it really is. These individuals are processed in about three, three and a half hours. They're put on a plane, train, or automobile, usually with most time, the majority with no ID, uh, bypass security procedures, and all across America, one, going to be a check for head lice and scabies. And no other tests, and we don't know what they're bringing across with, with every, the pandemic supposedly going on and putting people at risk. A lot of times without masks, loading them up and flying them up to every town across America.
1: And we're, we're seeing an outbreak of more of this COVID, and now they say it's the Delta uh, variant. But it's very possible it's coming across the border. And what we're seeing being admitted to hospitals could be the, these very people. We're not being told the truth by our government. Are we, are well, we I being told
7: that, any truth? I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's most of what we're getting is propaganda. When they get up there and tell lies that we know are lies, those of us on the front lines each and every day. I can remember Sheriff Deloach saying, we could hear him coughing on the other shore. And they're getting these rafts. And he's like, uh, we were trying to get a child from a, a coyote that was bringing a raft over, threatening to throw the child in the water and we're trying to get to where we can get these children off this, this raft. And, and, you know, and he's like, Sheriff, you don't have gloves on without even thinking about it, grasping it. Thank goodness i got to uh, give credit to Sheriff DeLoche being there, having my back, and, and getting the child. But these people, it's, they're going through a quick medical process, uh, non-government organizations. They're there contracting. They're pushing them through. Like I said, it takes three to three and a half hours to process each individual. They've overwhelmed all the resources at the border. And what happens is while they're overwhelming, the people that shouldn't be in our country are coming across. The drugs that are coming into our country killing our citizens, that's where it's coming across. The seizures at the border have over 200%. The fentanyl seized. Right now, that has been seized. Remember, they only predict that 15 to 20% are seized. has been enough fentanyl to kill every man, woman, and child in the state of Florida nine times. If I don't grind your gears, I don't care what party affiliation you have. As Americans, that should make you very upset.
1: And there's an irony to this whole thing here, Gator, because they're denying uh, access to the United States Cuban refugees. Cubans that are actually out there actively protesting communism and trying to get freedom for their nation and trying now to flee to the United States to get that freedom. They're denying them. But those that would turn around and, in the end, destroy our nation, they let freely over the border. I, I don't, do, do you smell hypocrisy here at all?
6: Uh, you know, it, it, it reeks of it, Annie. Uh, you know, the, the Biden administration has made it very clear that uh, they have no regard for uh, the poor Cuban refugees who are trying to flee communism, but yet will allow uh, illegals from Mexico. Here, here's the problem, though. It's not just illegals from Mexico. Uh, During an intelligence briefing that Sheriff Smith and I sat through, we actually found out that there are immigrants coming through Mexico from 140 different countries that include China, Romania, Guatemala, Honduras, and, frankly, all over the globe, to be honest with you. And they're they're flocking there in droves. So they're coming there. The cartel, of course, owns all the land on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande, and they're charging about $6,000 a head to uh, to mule or to smuggle these people across with the, the coyotes that they use. So just in the Rio Grande Valley sector that Sheriff Smith and I visited, which is kind of the epicenter of the, uh, the immigration crisis right now, there's about 3,000 people a day that the Border Patrol is intercepting and processing. So, you know, simple math will tell you that just in that sector alone, the cartels are making about $18 million a day in that sector alone.
8: Whoa.
6: 3,000 people that are coming across. The United States government is subsidizing the largest human trafficking organization ever in the history of this world, and the blood is on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris'
1: hands and their cronies. That is that, that's stunning. No wonder why the cartel is not going to let us stop. Uh, the cartel will end up running the United States if we keep this up. Uh, I don't see any other you know, option to that because now they're buying off the politicians to keep this open. And well, you know, here's what's
6: important, Annie. You know, I'm I'm all for uh, you know if someone wants to immigrate here and and become an American citizen and and live the lives that we enjoy. Uh, but there's a legal process that you have to go through to do it and, and and with that there's an expectation that whenever you come over you learn the language you learn our customs and you contribute something meaningful to this country while at the same time celebrating your own heritage i don't think me or or you or anyone else has uh, you know has a, a minute's worth of trouble with that but there's there's a legal means to go through gaining your citizenship and it's it's not easy it's not for the faint of heart oh
1: man Go ahead, uh, uh, Gordon.
7: No, I, what I'm appalled at is, you know, we talk about pipelines, and, and we know that with a stroke of pen, eleven thousand American workers lost their job. The pipeline that's been opened up is the sex trafficking, the drug trafficking, the the human trafficking coming into our border. You know, it, it, and I think when Gator and I were were driving out there together, he said it best, and it stuck in my head. When he said, look, I would go back if we thought we could make a difference, but it's the most expensive welcoming committee that's ever been put in place by America because the people that want to come here, I was touched by people holding American flags, holding on to American values, while at the same time we got people representing our country that are elected by people in our country that are taking a knee or downgrading our flag and, and, and everything that we stand for. You know, I'd gladly trade place with some of them politicians for those that want to come here and live our lifestyle. But a country without borders will, not, will soon not be a country, and that's all that's upsetting with me—that these, these these individuals coming across are being used as a pawn in a political game when this shouldn't be political at all.
1: Well, you know, the two of you know that I start each show with a dedication to fallen hero, and today's show was dedicated to 20. 20- Law enforcement officers, active duty members who lost their lives in the line of duty to the COVID virus during just the month of February alone. Out of those 20, 14 either worked in the area of the border in Texas or were border patrol officers. 14 out of the 20 had connections to the immigration crisis of illegal aliens at our border. And that's that's a heavy, oh. heavy toll that these men and women are paying yes. to, be, to do their job.
7: And I can remember Sheriff Chipwood, who was with us from Volusia County, asking a group of, of, of border patrol and and he says, what can we do for you? These are the men and women out there on the front lines every day. What can we do for you? They said, we need help. Get the message out. Let America know what's going on. Their hands are tight. They want to do their job. And that's all they were begging for. Please let the American citizens know what's really going on here. And when you talk to them, we said, well, what's different? They said what we had in place was working. It was making a difference. It was keeping our community safe. And overnight, everything changed. And those men and women have been left out there with no support from their superiors at the top levels of our government. Now, like we, we assured them we've not given up the fight. The fight has just begun, <laughs> working with you and many of you the, the, the real news organizations of the world, getting the message out and getting people to realize this is not a Republican or Democrat issue. This is a human issue, and that we all got stake and we've all got flesh in the game, so we've all got to get active.
1: You know, the irony of what I'm seeing, because my heart just breaks, because back in the late 80s, 90s, if I made an arrest in New York City, I was not allowed to ask the immigration status when you knew full well you were looking at an illegal immigrant in front of you. With 15 different Medicaid cards under 15 different names, oh police. You weren't allowed to ask that question, and you were were not allowed to contact INS. And it, it has... Is more from something as simple as that to what we see now. The fact that they wouldn't let us, you know, exercise the law and enforce the law for that one little item. Once you get the foot in the door, they have ripped that door wide open. They've actually ripped it off the hinges, and I don't think there's a way to replace it unless we get this administration out of office. And it's got to be up to every single person out there to get off their butt and vote and vote these sobs out of office and get the right people back in i i'm getting ticked off really because i i want to help but how else can i do that but give you your voice to get this message out there to everyone listening that they have to participate in spreading the word a bucket brigade of truth that's what we need
6: Annie, you're exactly right. You know, and and what Sheriff Sheriff Smith said about Sheriff Chipwood's comments and the the conversation that we both witnessed is is absolutely true. We all know the media is not even covering uh, you know a, a tenth of a percentage of what's actually going on at the border and these these horrible atrocities that are occurring. Um, and it's, it's up to people like us to, uh, to spread the word. So just to put it in perspective a little bit, in May of 2020, under President Trump's administration, there were 23,237 uh, encounters at the southern border. Contrast that with May of 2021, there was 180,034 wow. encounters with illegals at the border. That's a 675% increase when you compare the same period in 2020 to the same period in 2021 under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's administration. And it's disgusting to me.
1: Can I ask you
7: to know, you that? Go ahead. What most people don't understand is that's what's being captured just walking across and turning herself in through the cartel who's getting rich. The main point, and, and I think where we're Sheriff Deloach is getting to is the gotaways. And I kept saying, what, what are they talking about gotaways? Why they're being distracted, because a lot of them are babysitting now. Almost 60% of the, the Border Patrol that's there that are 40% short are doing babysitting for all the children. So they only work with 40%. Gotaways are the individuals, why they're tied up with these processing and doing this, are the ones that they've seen on radar – Uh, The ones that they're tracking through the the balloons and the the drones and all these type things, they know they're there. They just can't catch them. And the gotaways are for over 400 percent, what they call gotaways, that are getting into our country. Those are your people that shouldn't be here because they're criminals, people that are mules hauling the drugs and and taking the sex traffic or the uh, the slave labor uh, to America. Yes,
6: gang members, uh, sex offenders, um, violent criminals. Um, the the day that we were there, there was over 204 gotaways that uh, that were documented and were never found the uh, previous day. So year to date, uh, there is over 200,000 gotaways who have evaded the uh, border control. Border Patrol because the president's directive is uh, the border patrol is on largely a, a humanitarian mission now. Um, and, you know, these these, uh, these coyotes that smuggle everyone across, they're so unscrupulous, they will take a four- or five-year-old child and throw them in the water to divert all of the U.S. resources to that particular child while they sneak over these, these gotaways, the sex offenders, the gang members, your uh, violent criminals, murderers, mm-hmm. and, and smuggle them across the border as well as mule drugs across the border at the same time while everyone's, Energy and all the resources are diverted to saving this uh, child or these these children that they've intentionally thrown overboard
0: to distract everyone. Wow, Gator. Hey, while you were down at the border, um, did you get any any intel or status on the the number of um, like MS-13 gang members coming into the United States, and possibly even even some terrorists posing as. Um, um Latinos coming in. I was just curious you know,
6: we did and and you know a large portion of those gotaways are uh, are folks that are coming in from uh, from china and and other countries. Um, I, I don't know that we could necessarily quantify the number of those gotaways because we don't really have any way to identify them unfortunately, Curtis, um, but during a briefing that uh, Sheriff Smith and I sat through with some other members of Congress with uh, homeland security investigations, they said, you know. Uh, between them and the Border Patrol, uh, National Guard, and, and Texas Department of Public Safety, um, you know their uh, their resources are uh, are beyond tapped and, and they're they're so overextended that there's really no way for them to quantify other than knowing how uh, an approximate number of how many gotaways are coming across. But I'm sure that number is uh, uh, an incredibly large percentage of those folks. Um, you know, the, the majority of them that are coming over are affiliated with the cartel, and they're, they're smuggling drugs over. So I think it's probably a safe assumption to make that, uh, you know, they're, they're either uh, undesirables, criminals, or gang members that are, that are coming over.
7: And another scary <laughs> aspect of this is the advertising, the open, open market advertising on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram – They are openly advertising for drivers, recruiters, to all these people that are coming across these uh, gotaways. They're advertising big money, showing money uh, on uh, TikTok. Uh, We watched a Facebook Live video. I've, I've seen a lot in my career, a lot. On a Facebook Live video to watch cartels fight cartel and watch them physically hold a man down, physically hold his arms and legs down, and cut his heart out, and watch the heart beat in his hand, and then take the same knife and cut. This is on a Facebook Live video, and that's what they use for intimidation to their other members as these cartel wars are going on, because it's a lot of money to be fighting over. They control the southern border, and they're, they're inching their way into the American side and have a lot of control there. Uh, in regards to it, it it's, it's really disgusting to me. It's, it's really upsetting. And- those are things that our kids have access to, and if that doesn't turn your gears and grind your gears, there's something wrong with
1: you. No, and the worst part is, is that if I post something up there about hydroxychloroquine or or COVID being a scam or something like that, heaven forbid, I get taken down. But something like that, they leave up. I now, don't do that. That's what I don't. I don't. Yeah. It. <laughs> And they wonder why half the nation wants to sue Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the other ones, you know, for for, for the censorship. And yet our media is also mum. The only way people are going to hear about stuff like this is on shows like this. You know what? They I are not. I
7: spoke at Rotary yesterday. Yeah, you're you're correct. I, I I had people come up to me after speaking at Rotary Wednesday. I, I spoke at our Rotary. They, we had a different program, but they wanted to ask questions. These are the people I serve. Nobody was complaining about me going to the border or how it was paid for. None of that was ever asked of me. They said, Sheriff, tell us what's real. And when I got done, I had people come to my office. I had somebody come to my office this morning. I've had phone calls that they're, they're regular conservatives, not all of them. I got one of my most liberal friends that, uh, you know, he was even shook at what was going on. He said, well, how do we fix that? I said, those are the people you got representing you. You're my most liberal prominent friend I know, and he was appalled. He did not know any of that was going on because he watches CNN and MSNBC. They don't see
1: anything. No, That's, no, not at, at all. Don't. No, and one thing I want to point out to those listening: your sheriff, you elect that that man of that department, you elect. He's not responsible or answering to a federal government agency. He's responsible to you, the people that elect him. So when you get to the voting booth, you find out whether or not that sheriff is going to do his job and protect your community, like these two men are are violently doing, and getting that word out there so you, the public, know what is going on and what you can do for your safety. Man, I, I admire the two of you for having gone down there. At this point, I'm too old, too decrepit. But what I can do to support you is to get that word out there and give you voice. And that, that to me, is important.
7: We Absolutely. appreciate you. We thank what you do. Keep up the fight for, for real Americans because you are making a difference.
1: Mm. And we got to back the blue. Definitely back the blue out there, thank guys, you. because you know what? Those blue those guys out there they're your brother, your sister, your father, your uncle, your aunt. They are part of your family, they are part of your community. They're not us versus them. It's them for them. Them for us. So you got to look at them as if they're another human being. They wear they put their pants on the same way you do, one leg at a time. And they got to obey the same laws you do. So, you know, it, it, this this has got to stop. You know, we got to find uh, a way to pick this stop.
6: Yes, you know we were talking to some of the border patrol agents whenever we were out there, and they actually told us uh, through their union, the, the customs and uh, border patrol or border patrol unit actually told us that they are experiencing the highest rate of retirement in the history of the border patrol since their founding, uh, and it's because of the uh, you know the mandatory overtime, the uh, the exhaustion. Um, the number, the sheer number of hours that they're working, and their frustration with the Biden administration and their stance on immigration—you uh, know—they're saying we can't, we can't do this, uh, and they're they're leaving in in droves, and it's it's terribly unfortunate. And you know, we, we talked a little bit ago, a few minutes ago, about the uh, the, the Cuban refugee crisis, and the, the Biden administration has been uh, largely silent and refusing to uh, you know to allow them to immigrate here. Uh, and I, I can only surmise that's because their beliefs—you uh, know, they're anti-communist, anti-socialism, their anti-communist, anti-socialism—their beliefs align very closely with us. Whereas in Mexico, the people that uh, that are coming across, the majority of them align with uh, the Biden administration. And I personally think that it's—you uh, know—it's—it's uh, it's a, a ploy to uh, to hyperinflate the uh, the numbers on the the voter rolls again. Uh, in, in the next election cycle, and, and continue this uh, this downward spiral.
1: Yeah, because Donald Trump is extremely popular. So how else will you get the votes unless you you find a, another way to steal them? You can't Absolutely. alter the voting machines electronically then alter who's voting. That's right, and that's that's exactly what it, it looks like they're doing. But when this crisis hits, well, it has hit the internal. Of the United States small towns like the one I'm living in feel the after effects you know we're the ones that have to pay the higher taxes now for medical care schooling um, housing clothing whatever it is they need plus they get some sort of a stipend I'm sure once they are discovered but no you know you you can't turn them in you can't deport them that's evil that's cruel that's mean. and yet we can end up getting the infectious diseases that they bring across. We haven't seen leprosy here in decades. And suddenly you have cops in L.A. coming down with leprosy, tuberculosis, uh, measles, things that we eradicated are now back here with the vengeance. So it's not just COVID. It's all the other things. And then you Absolutely. bring in, as you said, the criminal element the drug dealers, the gang members, the sex offenders. And these kids that are coming across, they're being assaulted, not just the adult women, but the little children. there was a, someone did carry a story, it might have been up on Newsmax, that one little girl was attacked so often by the gang members, and she completely lost her ability to speak because her voice was was destroyed, screaming.
6: Annie, there were children that Sheriff Smith and I and the others actually encountered that had actually lost their voice. And we asked some of the Border Patrol agents, and and during one of the intel briefings, they said that they lose their voices because they scream so much. Uh, The average girl from the time that uh, they leave their homes um, to the time they make it to the border will be raped one or two times a night. So what's happening is their parents, in anticipation of that, uh, are actually putting them on birth control before they leave until they arrive at the border it's it's absolutely appalling what we're what this country is is allowing and what uh, what this administration is is turning us into and if you want to know something else that's even more frustrating so after these individuals are processed and the Biden administration buys them a plane or a bus ticket anywhere in small town USA they want to go There's a local charity there that gives them a $3,000 supplement to, quote, get them on their feet. However, they don't tell you the whole story. That charity then turns right back around and applies for reimbursement for FEMA out of our hurricane relief fund, $3,000 per person they're getting.
1: Oh, jeez. I know the NGOs have been uh, assisting in this one, but uh, this, this is crazy. But if you look at some of these NGOs that worked with the UN for the uh, Refugee Resettlement Program a number of years ago, are the very same ones that are working with FEMA for these illegal aliens and, and protecting them. And they get paid by consequence of you, the taxpayer.
6: Yes, that's absolutely right. And people don't, uh, don't realize that.
1: And some of those is that are there, it's not uh, just a nonprofit. A lot of these are the local, not local, but the nationwide churches, such as the Lutheran Church, Catholic bishops. These are some of the organizations. So when you're, you're going to church and kneeling there, you better find out whether or not one of the organizations that they support is one of these that is helping bring over illegal aliens to destroy this nation.
6: You better darn well make sure you know where your money's going if you make a charitable contribution.
1: Oh man! Well, guys, you're doing a fantastic job, and you you know Gator and now Gordon, you're a friend of the show now. Um, you're welcome back anytime. Yes, thank ma'am, and I, I
7: want to tell you, it was, it was an education you can't get in the classroom, and, and I thank you for informing America of what's really going on in the world.
1: And if anyone wants to get in touch with either one of you, they can click on the link on the show page, which brings them over to the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, so they can contact you if they have other additional questions that they would like to ask and get more information.
6: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Annie. I hope you all have a wonderful afternoon, and we look forward to talking
2: to you soon.
1: All right. God bless. you take care. All right. Sheriff Peter Deloche and uh, Sheriff Gordon Smith. I want to thank them both for being with us. It was great. Thank you, Chris, for bringing them on. And uh, I do believe we have our last victim of the day. He is new to our show. He is also a newbie over at the Heritage Foundation. So, Tom, thank you for sending him over. Dr. Samuel Gregg, he's a visiting scholar at Heritage Center for American Studies And he is an expert on socialism and everything we've been talking about today. Good afternoon, Samuel. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. It is our pleasure. Um, You have an interesting interesting article because one of the things we were asking all throughout the show is, what is it that is making these kids growing up today to uh, favor socialism over our free market economy uh they seem to think that this is some pie in the sky thing that we're going to have equality we're going to have social justice but that's not how human nature works is it
9: no i think if you look at um the reasons why younger people by which i mean between the ages of 18 and 34 uh saying that they favor socialism and uh, are not so enthusiastic about markets and capitalism. Well, there's all sorts of th- reasons they offer. It's things like they want more equality or they want more justice or they're concerned about what they see as a maldistribution of wealth throughout the country, etc. They're often very imprecise about what it is they actually want. They probably don't want centrally planned economies. But maybe they want something like a European social democracy. Maybe they want more redistribution. They're pretty vague, actually, when it comes down to saying what they mean by socialism. But what we do know is that they're very much against capitalism or what they perceive to be capitalism. And I think there's several reasons for this. One is, you mentioned it just before, what they are hearing in the universities and colleges uh, it's no secret that these institutions lean to the left. They've just become much more overt about it over the past 10 years. So if you're constantly hearing every day you're in, in class that markets are bad and capitalism is responsible for all the world's evils, you shouldn't be surprised that a lot of them start thinking that way. The second thing I'd say, which has had a major influence in terms of shifting people's thinking about, younger people thinking about economic questions is something that happened, uh, well, I guess it's now 13 years ago, the uh, financial crisis and the Great Recession. Now, I could give you lots and lots of reasons as to why uh, extensive government regulation of the housing industry, bad monetary policy, and bad financial regulation played a major role in that. But I don't think we can underestimate just how much damage that did in a lot of Americans' minds to their faith In capitalism, in some respects, I think we're still recovering as a country in terms of the way we think about economic questions and our instincts about economic questions from that particular catastrophe. So I think if you look at that, you look at some of these historically specific features that are going on, uh, you look at what's being taught colleges and universities around the world. I don't think it's so surprising that we see quite a number of young Americans, including not just uh, not just young Americans who describe themselves as progressive, but as I pointed in my National Review article, there's a there's a fair number of self-described young conservatives who are also skeptical about markets. So for those of us who have uh, a strong belief that markets work, then I think we have our work cut out for us.
1: Well, I think if you to- look at it from a conservative side, the skepticism. Uh, comes from where we see something like Nike. Uh, here you're, you're talking about social justice, but Nike has no problem using slave labor out of China for their products. Uh, you have Coca-Cola that is woke. Uh, actually, someone, a friend of mine in Long Island sent me a picture of himself holding a can of Coke, and the side of it said, try not to be too white or something to that effect. You know, when right. I see you a corporation like that starting to behave and entertaining CRT, the critical race theory, and forcing their executives and employees to bow down to CRT, then you you begin to wonder uh, what is happening to our market. Yes, indeed. I think the phenomena
9: of woke capital, as it's called, or the phenomena of large corporations getting very politically activist in a left-leaning direction, that certainly explains, I think, why quite a number of young conservatives uh, uh, are not so enthusiastic about capitalism. Now, one of the things I often will say to them is that, look, what these corporations are doing has nothing to do with markets per se. It has everything to do with um, the fact that many of the people working in these organisations are exposed to all the same cultural junk, I might put it that way, as the rest of them. They're hearing the same things, and they also want to somehow appear to make sure that they are. You know, they're in the business world. They want to make to prove to their friends, they want to prove to their spouses, they want to prove to their children that they are. The fact that they work in in business does not mean that they are also. Um, not progressive. So I think that's part of what's going on there. So one of the challenges that exists is to somehow exorcise these tendencies to wokeness that exist within the, uh, cap- the world of the corporation, the world of business. Because my concern is that you're going to end up with a lot of people turning against markets from the right, because they will start saying, well, markets are just, and business, they're just the place of workdom. This is where all these things happen. Uh, So I believe that we we must somehow strike back against business. So it's, it's, it's a very strange time we're living in, in the sense that we have a lot of business people who are talking and acting in a very politically progressive way. We have young conservatives alienated by that. And we have a large number of, even larger number of Americans who describe themselves as progressive who associate capitalism with basically with injustice so it's on the right it's on the left, it's throughout the culture it's at the elite, it's at the popular level so those of us who believe in markets and defend markets, uh, we have multiple jobs to do in this very strange time
1: it is, it is, and part of the problem we have is that you know, socialism denies human individuality Whereas the free market economy, or as the left likes to call us capitalist, I think uh, Milton Friedman had it correct, it, the correct term is free market economy, um, we look at it as the individual of freedom, of less government interference. Uh, but in today's society, everything is instantaneous. It's disposable. It's easily dispersed through social media. And this is where I think everything gets distorted, uh, where, um, for example, Goya is, is, is making a killing because they decided not to be woke. Um, they decided to yeah. stay with the free market economy, whereas now uh, Coke is having a little bit of a struggle because they lost a huge portion of the market. You know, when they see actual socialism in action and you end up feeling the effects of it, I think it's going to be a backlash, honestly. I think we'll we'll start to shift back to a true free market you know, economy.
9: Well, one of the beauties of markets is it does provide these automatic feedback mechanisms, and we know, for example, that when corporations go woke, when corporations start parading their progressive credentials, well it's true they might they might pick up some people on the progressive side who might buy their product in, in preference to others. But for every person they pick up, they're going to lose someone else. They're going to lose someone else. They're going to alienate someone else. Now, in terms of demographics, at the moment it's fair to say that in America, um, those people who are self-described conservatives are still the largest politically identifiable group within the country. So the more woke you go, the more likely you are to alienate large numbers of people, the largest political grouping within the country. So I think that you find within businesses, within corporations, and particularly from shareholders, there's a fair amount of pushback against some of this because it's costing money. It's costing money. It's costing profits. It's reducing profits. And here's the other thing. The people that they're trying to impress, the woke people, Black Lives Matter, the critical race theory, the bottom line is that those people don't like capitalism, they don't like business, they don't like corporations, but so they are never, they are never going to be of the mindset that they will somehow accept or celebrate capitalism and markets, they never will. So in many respects, I think many, many people working on Wall Street, those who are working in large corporations that have gone woke, in some respects, they are what Lenin called useful idiots,
1: the people <laughs> who give you
9: enough rope to hang yourself.
1: And, and and once they go after the masses, the people like you and me that will try to counter them to fight back and retain our freedoms, they'll come for us first. So I say, for example, the first hundred million Americans, you're gone. Who are they going to come next? Those that are woke, the useful idiots, those of the intelligentsia and the elitists that thought they were doing it for the worker, or whatever their excuse is. Well, we got rid of the bad, bad capitalists, those conservatives, those Tea Party people. Now now they come for them, and they don't realize that. They're just tools. Yes, I mean, that,
9: no, I think that's right. You do find that um, for all the, the flirtation of much of the left, the progressive left, with the world of business, Those people in business who think that they are basically placating these groups, that they think that they are effectively um, making these people tame, that they're somehow making sure that they're protecting their businesses against the onslaught from uh, the progressive side, I think they're kidding themselves. Because in the end, people like AOC, it doesn't matter how woke the corporation gets, They have an in-principle problem with profit. They have an in-principle problem with some people being wealthier than one another. They have have an in-principle problem with the idea that if you work hard and you sacrifice, you end up earning more. They have in-principle problems with all those ideas because they very much define who they are as progressives. So to my mind, it doesn't matter how much Coke plays this game. It doesn't matter how much different airlines play these games. In the end, they are not going to placate these people. Uh, And that's something I think that reflects the fact that a lot of business has made a major miscalculation when it comes to thinking through this particular problem. But then, frankly, uh, I think it was Milton Friedman who said once that um, some of the the people who are the worst in terms of defending markets, um, he said, first of all, intellectuals are terrible. But he said the second group, are business people. Business people are terrible when it comes to this because their instinct is to placate. Their instinct is not to defend markets. Their instinct is to defend themselves and their business, which one understands. But what they don't understand is that the more they abandon the broad general commitment to markets and capitalism, the more isolated they will be whenever the time comes for some type of confrontation with the left. So this is the... This is a strange world we live in. We have businessmen lining up on the left to defend all sorts of things and argue for all sorts of things that have absolutely nothing to do with the viability or long-term health of their business. And on the contrary, we have lots uh, lots of these people essentially setting themselves up so that they will be defenseless because a lot of conservatives are now not inclined to defend business because they're saying... You, in the business world, you say that we're prejudiced, we hate all sorts of different types of people, we're racist, whatever it happens to be. You're basically accusing us of all those things. Well, don't expect us to defend you in the legislature, in the Congress, in the Senate, when the left tries to clamp down on you. It doesn't matter how much you try and make nice with Bernie Sanders. You're never going to persuade him that you're good people. And if you keep alienating conservatives, you will have no one to defend you. And I think we're starting to see some of that already, where we see a lot of Republicans, for example, very reluctant, very reluctant to defend business when business comes under criticism from
1: the left these days. We have to start teaching them, these businessmen, to be non-apologetic. Stop it. You're in business to make money. Period. Period. That is what you want. That's what you're there to do. You're there to provide a good and service that we, the public, desire. You found something that we desired? Just produce it. Forget about all the other crap and don't apologize. Stop it. It's just well, this very is also simplistic. part of the
9: problem, right? I mean, a lot of business people are very good at running a business, making profit, paying their workers. Producing goods and services that people want, but they're often very inarticulate when it comes to defending business. They'll so say things like, "Well, we contribute to society by being philanthropic. We contribute to society by giving things, you know, giving donations or supporting good causes, etc." And that's all fine. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but that's not the purpose of business. We need to remember, no. and this is maybe something, something we've forgotten in general, right? Every organization has its own particular purpose. Business is there to make profit. Religious organizations are there to talk about religion. Politicians do politics. Civil society groups do civil society. We don't have... Um, You don't have the military running businesses. You don't have the business running the armed forces, conducting the, the security of the United States. And I think in some respects what we're seeing is a breakdown of this understanding that every organization, whatever it is, has a particular purpose. And it is usually a mistake for an organization to depart significantly from what its key objectives are.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, I was a business owner. I also managed a couple of businesses. And, you know, people would come in. I didn't, couldn't care what ethnicity you were, what gender you were, what your politics were. I was there to provide a service for you. And that's all I, I did. You know, I wasn't going to ask you any political questions. And I appreciated my customers not turning around and asking me. You know, you're here. This is what you want. Boom. There you go. Let me know if everything worked well, then, out all right.
9: And that's it. Yes, and this, that's right. And this is part of the difficulty that we find now. And that is that for the left, remember for the left, everything is politics. There's nothing outside politics. There's nothing above politics. There's nothing below politics. Everything for the left is politics. So they can't leave things like business. Put it, they put that aside. They can't look at civil society and say, okay, you're doing what you do. We're not going to interfere with what you're doing. They find it very hard to separate these things out. And so what I think we're seeing in much of the business world, permeation, spread of this idea that everything is political and therefore must be political. And until I think there is some type of major correction of that type of thinking whereby we turn around and say, look, Not everything is political. Not everything is a question that needs to be voted upon. Not every organization has to have as its central purpose the promotion of particular causes. And until we do that, I think, we're going to find ourselves, and those who are familiar with the business world will find themselves, endlessly being dragged into all sorts of things that have literally nothing to do with their central purpose because the left refuses to see anything as being beyond politics. That's a big difference, by the way, between progressives and conservatives. Conservatives say politics is important, but there's other things that are also, if not more important. Family, uh, people's face life, their, their economic commercial activities, uh, the, 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 the philanthropy, all sorts of things that strictly speaking are not directly political. The left, however, they make no distinction in that regard. So I think this is part of what we see going on when it comes to some of this phenomena of woke capitalism and the steady politicization of business in these types of progressive directions.
1: And now here's, here's the really sad part about all of this. It's a small minority of our population that pull these stunts, and they've got themselves insinuated into these corporate boardrooms. A handful of people will dictate to a large corporation or even to a mid-sized corporation what their wokeness should be. Instead of kicking them out saying, "Uh, listen, I've got, say, 5 million shareholders and you're only a couple hundred people, so you're not going to influence how we do business. Thank you and have a nice day. But we allow a minority to control the majority. That's part of the
9: problem. And the other part of the problem, frankly, is human resources departments within many large businesses and many large corporations. The left are not stupid. They know where the pressure points are when it comes to the world of business. They know, for example, that when you look at business, that a lot of decisions that are not made by executives tend to happen in HR departments. And I'm very convinced. In fact, I think there's a fair amount of evidence to, to suggest this, that a lot of people who are on the progressive side have basically made themselves, made their way into things like the HR department, the personnel department. And <clears throat> the per- one of the things they're doing there is basically screening out people who are uh, more centrist or more conservative and actively promoting progressive people and progressive ideas and progressive causes causes, as part of what they think their job happens to be. So I often say to people, if you want to fix part of this problem with woke capitalism, have a good look at your human resources department. I think you'll find a lot of it is coming from the small number of people who work in there, but who exert much more influence, Uh, Then sometimes then the the CEO upon the culture and personnel of a given organization.
1: And the worst part is they have control over the uh, business's handbook. So whatever rules, regulations, etiquette that's written into the company policy, they're the ones that do the writing and controlling. Uh, There was an interview I saw just last week. Uh, This guy was an IT guy and he was gay. He was openly gay but he also was a conservative. Well, everything was fine in Jim Dandy until they found out that he was a conservative and a Trump supporter. Suddenly, the next thing the guy <laughs> knows, he has no promotions. He gets less and less work sent to his way, and then next thing you know, he's fired and without a job simply because he's conservative. And this is what yes, is happening.
9: Yes, I, I definitely think, yes, indeed, and that's a very good example. You're mentioning the, the handbook, um, what you might call the rules by which any any business, in fact, in many states, it's mandated that they have these types of um, things. But if you can control that, then you can control things like uh, you can find ways to screen out people by saying, well, if you say this, then you must be a racist. If you say this, then you must hate women. If you say this, then you must hate um, um, uh, people who are gay, et cetera, whatever it happens to be. So they're very clever in the way that they do that. So that's another thing I would suggest to business leaders who are worried about this. Don't just look at your HR department. Have a look at the handbook that is their Bible, which they use when they're dealing with personnel matters. You might find some things in there that you're not so excited about.
1: And also, before they fire, I know in many states this is this is the law um, I ne- definitely was in New York at the time I had worked up there. Uh, but when you put a strike against an employee, it has to be done three times before you can fire that individual. So something as simple as addressing someone with the wrong pronoun could give an unsuspecting person a strike in their folder, and if they do two more slip ups that they may be completely unaware are slip ups. They may be out on the air without a job and unable to find any recourse. So they, these employees have to know what's in their folder, and it's incumbent upon Absolutely. them to protect themselves that way.
9: Absolutely, because I think if they look at these things, they'll quickly discover that, that someone who's very politically savvy can use some of these things uh, in very effective but also subtle ways to effectively shift the culture of a business or corporation in particular directions so that before you know, you wake up one day and you discover that most of your staff who are more centrist or who are more conservative in their views on all sorts of different issues suddenly aren't getting promoted or are all leaving the organization, either because they say, well, there's no place for conservatives here, so I'm out, or they're, they're finding themselves being gradually pushed out. So I think this is another way in which one can really deal with this problem of work co- corporatism and woke ca- capitalism. Look at the HR department, look at the personnel people, look at the handbook, and see how these things increasingly reflect political agendas rather than basic concerns for fairness, which is what these things, these people and these um, uh, these, uh, these written materials should be about
1: well your article up on heritage which you wrote back on uh, july 13th is titled young americans increasingly prefer socialism you add to that here's how to change their mind it's a very interesting article so if people have someone in their life maybe one of their kids that prefers socialism pull up uh, dr greg's uh Article here up on heritage dot org, but you're also the research director for the Action Institute. What is the Action Institute? Well,
9: the the Acton A C T O N Institute is a think tank, which focuses upon the intersection of let's call it sound ethics, sound philosophy, and free market economics. So I spend, I spend half my time talking about economics, and half the other half of my time talking about how economics matters for questions of. Uh, um, ethical questions, political questions. Uh, we do work in the United States. We also do work abroad. So the website is www.acton.org.
1: Actually, I have a link up on the show page directly below your name. So if they click on your name, it'll take them to Heritage and you click on Acton, which I did spell correctly. I'm just, my dyslexia just popped out at the moment I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and if they click on Acton Institute, it'll take you take them directly over there for you. Uh, Dr. Gregg, it has been such a pleasure having you on, and Tom will tell you, I always welcome you all back.
9: Wonderful. Thank you for having me on.
1: And God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you. you all
9: too. right.
1: Check out Thank Samuel Gregg's Uh, Samuel Gregg's article up on Heritage.org. It's an excellent article. Uh, It's very informative. It it gave me some ideas on how to talk to people, That sometimes I'm like, what do you say? What do you say? This guy's a blooming idiot. What else do you want to say? Anyway, uh, Curtis, thank you for helping me shoulder through the technical difficulties at the start of the show.
0: Sure thing. And the day went by so fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I told you it was going to be a whopper. And uh, right now, Daphne Barak and her partner, Bill Ganusti, uh, they were the ones that made the film Trump versus Hollywood. After they got done with the film, they ended up rewriting their book uh, and then adding into it. Supposedly, I'm somewhere in the book. I haven't gotten to that part yet, uh, but uh, I've gotten up to the part where I'm interviewing Kevin Sorbo. No, I'm not. Uh, she's interviewing Kevin Sorbo and um, – I have a friend of mine that gave me his number to call, which I'm going to do over the weekend. I was supposed to call him before all this happened with Yanni before he passed away. Um, So I'm going to give him a call this weekend and see if I can get him scheduled. If not for this Friday, but for a show coming up soon, because he sent me an email saying he's, he's looking forward to coming on. I just have not been able to uh, get back to him. And so it's been a, a difficult few weeks. I want to thank sweet Sue uh, who took my late night calls when I, those first few days and, and helped me through those, these last three weeks. Uh, it's always good to have a special friend like that out there and you too, Curtis uh, and others. Uh, Jim Simpson was one. Uh, yeah. The day that uh, I was calling to reschedule Jim um uh, the priest was on his way to give Yanni his, uh, his last rites. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been a tough time. But thank you guys for hanging out and just waiting for me to come back on. But we're back. So I'm going to leave you with the closing song from my friend Gary Peccarella, uh, Save America. So for that, I will say good night, God bless, and see you next week.
2: I'm free for this land either, America, America, the home of the free, but there are people making plans to change America, they've no respect for her, what matters most to you, why I stand for the plan and I kneel at the cross mourn for the friends I have loved and lost and ask you you please, be God we trust You know it's up to me To see the truth behind the lies. Don't change America God bless America And the red, white, and blue That's why I stand on the flag And I kneel at the cross Long for the friends I had loved